Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. It's October. Let's get things started, man. We got a great show for you today, a good double feature. First up, how about a monster-related comic book, a brand new one from father and son, Adam and Aiden Glass. It's called The Lollipop Kids from Aftershock. It's an interesting concept. It's about teenage kids fighting old world monsters from the old country in today's modern New York with an interesting twist. The main character, Nick, is dyslexic, but it's not as much of a disability as you'd think, as explained by Aiden Glass. I'm assuming it's it's Nick's dyslexia that kind of lets him tap into this world as well, to a degree, right? Almost like like Daredevil with his blindness. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, um, obviously there's going to be parts where uh, Nick figures out things that the rest of the Lollipop Kids gang can't figure out, but he can figure it out because of dyslexia. If it says, um, I don't know, Roosevelt Drive or something, he can translate that to Gremlin Street or something like that, you know? Cool adventure book, Lollipop Kids. It just came out last week. Plus, we get into Adam's work, both at DC on the Great Teen Titans series and his television work that he's been doing for Fox, including series like The Chai on Showtime and several years on Supernatural. We get into all of that with Adam and Aiden Glass talking lollipop kids, television writing, DC's Teen Titans, and more on the first part of Word Balloon. Then, a new conversation with Howard Jakin. Howard's two issues into a great new series called Hey Kids Comics that is a fictionalized but also very real version of the comic book history and the writers and artists that made it. I've been, you know, reductively referring to it as Mad Men in the comic book business, but after having watched the first, the, the season opener of the second season of The Deuce, at which point I was talking to my wife and said, if you look really close in the back behind me, that's me back there. There I am, I'm over there. Because Mad Men was never really a, a literal Roman clef. Watching The Deuce, I can really identify uh, specific, you know, I, that's you know, she's clearly supposed to be her, and he's supposed to you know, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of that in, 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 in Hey Kids comics, although I, although I, I abhor the guessing game, because uh, there are some that are obviously really obvious, and there are some characters that are clearly, you know, very, very opaque conflations of, uh, of actual people. Yeah, there are some on the nose, and yeah, if you, know your, if you know your basic comic history. And most people don't, so it's a brand new, it's like science fiction for these schmucks. So you'll hear a lot about the world of comics from the 40s, 60s, and into the 2000s, which also reflect on some of the arguments that we're talking about today. Things haven't changed much, as you'll hear in our conversation. Plus, Howard gives us a good recommended television list and uh, his usual fun and nonsense. Always great to welcome Howard Chaykin back to Word Balloon. This episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by Aftershock Comics, shaking things up at your local comic shop right now with hit series like Baby Teeth from Donny Cates and Gary Brown, Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael De La Tour, and A Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis and Gordon Suzuka, as well as exciting new titles as well, like Beyonders from Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair, Hot Lunch Special from Elliot Rayal and Jorge Fornes, and today's subject, Lollipop Kids, from Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. Check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local comic shop at AfterShotComics.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support. Via Patreon, I'm heading to New York Comic Con this week, and you're a big part of how I'm able to get there and uh, make the connections that I need to keep Word Balloon going. 
hey, we're on a ridiculous streak. I'm just, I've just jinxed myself by saying that. But so many incredible conversations. Today's guests are a good part of that as well. And, uh, you know, thank you. With your help and subscriptions, I'm able to devote a lot more time to Word Balloon and uh, hopefully make this a real thing beyond what it is now. It is already a real thing, and I'm happy to bring it to you. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you want to help the cause out and you can afford it, consider subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon at wordballoon.com, and you can click on the Patreon ad or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. All right, let's get things started. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation with Adam and Aiden Glass talking about the Lollipop Kids. Don't let the title fool you. This is a really good adventure teen comic where a bunch of kids in New York City uh, apparently are part of a secret society that has been battling old world uh, bad guys, monsters. Think of Grimm's fairy tales and some of the other possible things. It's almost a Grimm's fairy tale spin on Ready Player One. But instead of it being a, a you know reality world, this is a secret world that only these kids know about, and a very interesting lead character perceives this kid Nick, who happens to have dyslexia. A very interesting adventure story from writers Adam and Aiden Glass. Let's get into it now with them on Word Balloon. Aiden and Adam Glass, father and son team. Welcome to Word Balloon. It's a it's a pleasure to have you guys on to talk about the Lollipop Kids. Thank you. It's a pleasure for us to talk to you about the Lollipop Absolutely. Kids. Absolutely. <laughs> Aiden, how old are you? I am 14. Nice. Excellent, man. That's a good age. All right. I'm not saying my age. That's okay. No, Adam, we'll we'll cut you slack. (laughs) Don't worry. But um, that's great. So, well, both of you, uh, and I'll let you guys choose who uh, to begin. Uh, Give me the conception of the Lollipop Kids. I think it really started uh, a really long time ago. Um, Obviously, I have dyslexia, like the main character, Nick. Oh. And... um, when I was learning how to read, uh, it was always uh, much more – it was a lot hard, uh, more hard for me to figure out the story reading it. Uh, so instead, uh, we would um, – my parents would read it to me, and then we'd talk about it, and then we'd like, create stories and add on and like think of our own prequels to it and stuff like that. And one day, we just decided to make up our own story. And Lollipop Kids was one of the stories, and we usually did this when I was very little. And before we went to bed, it was nighttime stories, and Lollipop uh, Lollipop Kids was obviously one of them. And when my dad came to me and said, hey, uh, I have an idea, like, you want to write a comic book with me, basically, he said. And he's like, I need a new idea. And I'm like, remember Lollipop Kids? And he's like, yes. And we went from there, and we started, like, adding more stuff, and that's where we are now. Aiden, does does uh, reading comic books does it help you uh, comprehend stories? And have you have you done that to help yourself uh, with reading? Oh yeah, definitely. Pictures, uh, visually, visu- uh, sorry, visualizing everything. It's sure. just so key to me to understand. That's excellent, man. No, you know, I that's I think a lot of us comic book readers. That's how we started reading to begin with. You know, whether whether we had any challenges or not. So. I think that's fantastic, and uh, Adam, that's that's great. So, let me ask you guys both: Are you uh, aware of your own family? Go- I love the I love the angle of Lollipop Kids that uh, ties to the idea of immigrants coming to America and uh, bringing the monsters of the old world here as well. 
and uh, you know, I, I have uh, a, a, a firm grasp on my own family's beginnings at Ellis Island and coming here from Greece. So is that is that part of the family heritage? Do you guys are you guys hip to that as far as your own family? Yeah, yeah. So our family came from Minsk, which is now Belarus, but was sure. Russia. Uh, and they came here and same thing, you know, it's the, it's, you know, Ellis Island and the immigrant story and they moved to the Bronx and, uh, they struggled and that's where I was born. You know, I was second generation. So, you know, I always say this too. It's interesting sort of in some ways we're the last generation that sort of has ties to the old world, you know, totally. Uh, that's a good point, man. You know, we have parents or grandparents, you know, or great grandparents, you know, uh, I grew up, they spoke Yiddish in my house. So I, you know, we were able to turn around and have all types of uh, sort of, you know, influences, um, and, you know, and, and it's sort of there's an interesting thing on too now, which is like, here we are. And these immigrants, you know, uh, immigrant stories are in the news again. And unfortunately, they're not always good ones. And yeah. it was also just a reminder that we, you know, we're a country built on, you know, immigrants. You know, I love in uh, Hamilton, you know, they have that song and he says, you know, immigrants, we get the job done. You know, it's like we forget <laughs> the rich history of what immigrants have brought to this country and what hard workers. And I still believe that it is true to today. And so we hope this story is a not just a reflection on the past, but a reflection on right now. Absolutely. And I like that it is kind of a real world approach to uh, fighting monsters. And uh, absolutely, you know, that's that's great. So, uh, yeah. So, like, did you I mean, the Big Bad Wolf uh, plays a uh, a big role in this first issue. So was this one of those stories in that you would like, you know, Red Riding Hood, you would kind of do prequels to uh, Red Riding Hood? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, we're, we're trying to add as many, uh, characters from, uh, like children's stories and, you know, uh, maybe sometimes writing, right. Uh, Red Riding Hood's not always the sweet girl. Maybe she could be a total badass character. That mm-hmm, we can play mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And the idea is again, turning sort of these things, these myths on their head a little bit, you know, we always say what's familiar, but fresh, you know, what's the fresh take on a familiar idea. So it was always, you know, and having someone like Aiden, who's really this age and, you know, part of this time and, and being a kid is also great because, you know, there'll be times where we'll talk about something and I'll say something and I'll be like, Dad, that's not how we do it now, you know, or that's not how I think, you know, kids would react that way. You know, I mean, you know, you said something about sort of just putting it in the real world. One of the things we did, you know, in, in as the story will move on, you'll see is like Nick's not like, you know, in the movies, you know, Kids are like, you know, they find out they're part of something. They're like, let's go. This they, Nick's like, no way, man. <laughs> Nick's like, Nick's like, I'm not fighting monsters. Like, you know, that's a, like, this is crazy. I'm out of here. And they're like, but you're a legacy, you know? And he's like, yeah, screw being a legacy. <laughs> you know, he's very much, he's like, I want to survive. I want to live. I want to grow old, you know? So, you know, any place where we could sort of just make it feel real, you know? And one of the big things for me growing up in the city was, you know, all those movies that I love, may it be, you know, E.T or, you know, um, you know, any really sort of great adventure story or, you know, you know, things about that time, like there are always kids in the suburbs. There's really no stories about us kids in the city, you know, so <laughs> there's no representation of us in those stories. So that was the other thing. It was like sort of like writing this, you know, sort of love letter to like inner city kids and going, hey, here's your story, guys. Here's your story and and your great adventure and your, you know, a, a reflection of sort of more my childhood mixed with Aiden's who's growing up here in Los Angeles and having his own sort of, you know, urban inner city um 
you know, experience different, but yet same. I mean, he's like these kids, I see him get out of school and there's everybody skateboarding and, you know, these kids take off. He goes to school down in Santa Monica and, uh, oh, wow. you know, yeah, it's pretty cool, you know, and I, it's just like, uh, it's, it's, it's a, again, sort of like more of a version of like where we're coming from versus, you know, what we grew up watching. No, I understand. I, it, uh, yeah, I think we have to go back to the Bowery boys. Uh, yeah. And, and hold right. movies as far as inner city kids and everything having adventures. Yeah, they were originally the dead end kids. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Angel with dirty faces, right? That was the first, that was the thing that sort yes. of. Yes. Well, and, Bo- and Bogart had the uh, dead end movie as well with, uh, yeah. with the original dead end kids. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And uh, yeah. I also like that you've taken. Uh, I'm assuming it's it's Nick's dyslexia that kind of lets him tap into this world as well, to a degree, oh. right? Almost like like Daredevil with his blindness. A hundred percent. Yeah. No. Um. We sort of uh. Obviously, there's going to be parts where uh Nick figures out things that the rest of the Lollipop Kids gang can't figure out, but he can figure it out because of dyslexia. Uh, dyslexia. Um. He definitely sees like um. I don't know. In Percy Jackson, um, he saw it all in um, the words Greek. He saw it all out into like English and excuse me, English and stuff. But take that, but with dyslexia. And so if it says, um, I don't know, Roosevelt Drive or something, he can translate that to Gremlin Street or something (laughs) like that. You know. (laughs) And so yeah, no, we're definitely using all uh, dyslexia and everything we can to like sort of make a. yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that most people don't understand about dyslexia is there's over 400 types of it. You know, everybody. Wow. And, and, and yeah, and so it's it's really interesting. And, and you know, sometimes people see letters backwards. Some people have communication issues, some of the processing issues. There's a million different versions of it. And uh, and by the way, you know, and Aiden's been very lucky that he's and worked really hard. So, you know, like he reads like grade level. He does all that stuff now. You know, it's it definitely sort of things he had to learn and catch up. And then there are other things that are always, you know, like he said, he's more of a visual learner. But at the end of the day, what's really great about it is all these kids, you know, are so smart. They think out of the box, you know, he like, you know, we say it in the book. He's in great company. You know, everyone from, you know, Einstein to Steven Spielberg to Steven Jobs were all dyslexic. You know what I'm saying? I have no so, idea. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's it's again, you know, like even when Aiden was little, he would be able to build, you know, my house in Legos with no directions, you know, that's great. Uh, But, you know, so, you know, which I can't, you know, here I am, I can I'm, you know, incredibly well read, but I I can't literally put two pieces together, you know, (laughs) but it's 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 amazing. And, you know, these you know, these kids and Aiden's the same way, just think so out of the box, even sometimes we'll be talking story. And I'll say something and he'll say to me, like, what if it's this? And I'm like, yeah, what if it is that? (laughs) Because I'm a very linear thinker, you know, so it's nice to sort of bounce with him, you know, and he has that gift, thankfully, where, you know, he's story and ideas and stuff come out of his his mind and his mouth all the time and has since he's very little. So I think a little bit of growing up around it and also just having the gift of it, you know, so uh, and and he's, you know, he's an artist in many different ways, but uh, especially in story. That's excellent. And also, um, is Nick is Nick 14? Aiden? Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to start with his age in the book as 14. OK, I like uh, I also like, uh, honestly, the opening scene and even uh, Nick talking about how, you know, in his bedroom, he always left the window open a crack. And uh, I lived in that kind of house with a brother that insisted on doing that. So I, I can I, th- I guess I was more Mia. Than I was Nick. I mean, even though I was the younger brother and stuff, I could. I was like, "Why is it always cold, man? Come on, it's like it's thirty-five degrees out." God, it's six degrees out in Chicago at sometimes. 
Yeah. You got to have that fresh air absolutely coming through the window. So yeah, I just those, those little details, you know, are what makes these stories, you know, unique and personal. And that's what we're trying to definitely do. Sure. And, and Adam, also a, a real Goonies vibe in a good way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as have you have you uh, shown the Goonies to Aiden yet? Of course, of course. I've seen nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the good news about having kids is you get to relive your childhood, you know. Sure. And, sure. and so get to share and watch all those movies. Uh, he is uh, since very little. It's uh, both my kids have been through the Rocky trilogies and Terrific. you know, Goonies, ET, and um, you know, all the Raiders, and you know, we went through a Schwarzenegger phase, him and I. So we, you know, I did Total Recall and you know, and Predator and all that stuff. So we, yeah, we we've geeked out to a lot of good stuff. And you know, I'm waiting now. He's 14, so you know, he's still a few years away from sort of like The Godfather and sure. Raging Bull and all that stuff. You know, do you have kids? No, but I have two great nephews, and I was exactly like that with uh, with both of them. And the youngest one is now in his early twenties. But yeah, literally, like when he was fifteen, I'm like, oh, thank God! Now we can start like showing you some <laughs> a little more edgier stuff, and showed him the yeah. Matrix trilogy, and like you said, I, I you know, again, I, I uh, I'm lucky. My sister's a, a cool mom, and it's like. All right. I mean, we didn't go too far into ours, but it was like, you know, I, I would always check with her with a title. I'm like, I want to show him this. All right, let me think about it. Okay, fine. And then it would be like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And so, yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. So do you have some favorite uh, filmmakers, storytellers right now, Aiden? Um, definitely Steven Spielberg. Um, I've sure. been – Obviously, you know, I'm getting uh, even more uh, good at reading. Uh, I've, me and my dad have gone through a little phase of Stephen King. I definitely really am enjoying King right now. Cool. Um, yeah, no. Uh, well, it was amazing how it came out and sort of gave a whole new generation, you know, sort of Stephen King fans again, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. But I- a few weeks ago, I showed you uh, Christine. Yeah. We watched Christine. <laughs> Great movie. Which hell holds up. <laughs> really holds up i sure. was surprised i mean you know because some of the movies like i'm sure you do the same thing you watch it again you're like oh i remember that being better than you know <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like doesn't hold up as well you know but yeah no that's great and yeah you're right I mean, it makes sense that christine would hold up and everything's still vintage car and kind of a you know outsider a teenager and stuff no good stuff man that's great uh wow that's excellent and very seriously very cool man and, I, and i'm glad that this is a way too to kind of express yourself artistically and you know your dad your dad knows how to break story and i'm sure is teaching you you know the different ins and outs of you know how to how to finish a scene and and uh you know i mean god i'm a layman so i'm not even going to try to continue (laughs) in terms of the right story terms i'm sure you guys know it better than i do well, it was great was that when Aiden was little, I, you know, I was on a show for five years called Supernatural that I was an executive producer on. And Aiden would come into the room and always pitched openings to the writer's room. And it was always, you know, he just loved doing it. I mean, from the time he was six, seven, he'd be like, and then, and then, you know, and then the blood splash against the wall and then Supernatural, he'd say. And so forever, Robbie Thompson, who's a writer and writes Spider-Man and does a bunch of other stuff and is a great TV writer. Like he always would pitch it as Aiden, <laughs> you know, he just. <laughs> Just got him so excited by the way, you know, Aiden would get so excited about pitching it. So, uh, you know, again, I mean, yes, he's grown up around it. So he's, you know, been in writer's rooms before and, you know, after school sometimes would have to come sit in the writer's room and I'd notice he wasn't doing his homework. You know, he'd have his head up watching, listening to what we're doing, you know. (laughs) That's great. I got to ask, Adam, because you've opened the supernatural door. That show (laughs) is a juggernaut. And I got to be honest, 
I didn't watch it the first couple of years, but Ben Blacker put me in touch with Ben Edlund when he was writing Supernatural. Oh, so, Ben's the best. Yeah. yeah, so I started watching it. I'm like, because I, I kind of knew what was going on, but I'm like, all right, whatever. But then I really started watching it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this show's hilarious. And it's just a, really a great monster hunting show, but it has its own personality, and the brothers are great, and... Uh, you know, uh, just the whole the whole thing. I mean, I really did kind of buy into it. My personal favorite episode was the one where they slid into the alternate universe and found themselves on the Supernatural TV show. The French Mistake, which yes. Ben wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. So, no, you know, no, and of course, one of my favorites, Brian Doyle Murray, Chicago's very own, Bill's yes. brother, as, mm-hmm, the, yes. uh, as the director on the set and everything. But he plays yeah, Bob Singer. Right <laughs> yeah. Very cool stuff. So yeah, tell me of of the supernatural stuff. Yeah, tell me tell me the experience of being out there for five years. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I was a fan of the show before I went and uh, got on the writing staff. I had heard I was on a show called Cold Case, which I loved, and sure. it was unfortunately ending. And so everybody was like, "Yo, what's out there?" You know, we all talked as writers, and someone mentioned that that for the first time like ever or in a long time supernatural was looking for writers and heard it was a tough camp and all this stuff and i actually went in and uh i pitched eric kripke and sarah gamble sarah is now running magicians and okay. sure sci-fi eric, magicians absolutely yeah. and eric just had a hit movie out this week with jack black the 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 walls of the house with the clock and the walls or what it was yes it? yes yeah was it, so was it good it was good we went and saw it and i saw it friday night we loved it we thought that's it was cool awesome. looks like a cool trailer absolutely yeah, so we went and had fun and enjoyed that. But so, you know, I had to go in there and pitch them. And sort of my track record at that point had been sort of all procedurals and like heavy dramas. So, sure. uh, and I remember I went in and I pitched a bunch of ideas. And I pitched one in particular, an unknown soldier, Confederate unknown soldier idea. And uh, I'll never forget, El- uh, Eric said, uh, We're doing that one. I said, Oh, I might get this job. Awesome. <laughs> and by the way, it, we didn't do it the first. I don't think I got to do it till like season four, but we did eventually make that episode. Um, you know, Jared and Jensen are just the greatest guys in the world, man. They really are. Like, there's no blowing smoke, man. I mean, like, they just are good dudes, and that's the reason that show's still going for 14 years. It's uh, those amazing. two. Amazing, fourteen yep. years. Honestly, a friend of mine, we were just talking about that about the fall schedule. And they're like, "Man, Supernatural is still going." And we looked it up. We're like, "Oh my god, fourteen years! That's crazy." Smallville went ten, yeah. You know? And 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 that's the thing. I mean, it's like this is the kind of show that could have slipped through the cracks, as many do on Good Lord Fox, and and certainly even uh, the CW. And yeah, man, nice juggernaut uh, that 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 keeps on ticking. So you've lately you've been working on the chi- the the shy. I worked on the shy last year. I have an overall deal at Fox Twenty One. So really, uh, sort of mercenary wherever Fox wants me, I go. So got you know we'll see. We got a couple of things coming up, but I'm uh, you know right now between that and then I'm writing Teen Titans for DC Comics, which is a lot of fun. I created a character named Crush, who's Lobo's daughter. Very she's funny. a lot of fun. Oh yeah, she it's been great. I'm I'm really loving that. And then you know. Having this experience and being able to write a book with my son, you know, that's like a dream come true. So, you know, Lollipop Kids is uh, definitely uh, t- is a priority for us right now. We're actually going to go to New York Comic Con and he's going to do his first signing. Hey, awesome. I'll, I'll be there as well. And I hope to I hope to see you guys there. Did Now, tell me about bringing it to Aftershock. Did Aftershock come after you? Because I know there is this uh, sisterly kind of connection to D.C. in terms of uh, uh, and now I'm blanking. Uh, Mike. Uh, uh, Mike. Yeah. Mike so when I so here's the long and short of it. So when I went to, 
I started at Marvel and I wrote Deadpool Suicide Kings, which became a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and, and by the way, had no, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, everything to do with Deadpool, nothing to do with us. <laughs> it was literally that, just that character was so hot at that time. Sure. People were dying for stories for him. So um, I did that and then had done a bunch of Deadpool and I did a book called Luke Cage Noir, which was a ton of fun. Oh, sure. And, and uh, yeah, with Sean Martinborough and Mike yes. Benson. And I, you know, and I just like I did a bunch of books and then I ended up going to D.C. and doing a JLA annual. And then uh, <laughs> there's always a funny story I like to tell. I, I got a call from uh, Dan Didio and he says, uh, you want to do um, uh, what was it? Uh, no, he went. Yeah, but it was Legion of Doom. And of course, I go to my childhood. I'm like, oh, yeah, totally <laughs> love Legion of Doom. In my head, I'm like Black Mantra and sure. You know, Lex Luthor and the coming out of the swamp and all that stuff. And they said, can you meet with Jeff Johns in like two hours? And I was like, uh, yeah. They're like, great. You're going to, this is going to be awesome. So I show up and I sit down. I never, I, I sort of saw Jeff every once in a while, but I didn't really know him. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, so I, in two hours came with my whole pitch and I'm like, and you know, Legion of Doom comes out of the swamp and did it and all this. And he goes, no, nah, we're not doing any of that. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, uh, it's heat wave. And I go, Heat wave from like from Flash's Rogue, Ga- Rogue yeah. Gallery. He's like, he's like, yeah. And then he's like, and then he explained to me that it was Flashpoint. And I remember leaving there going, that is the most awesome idea I ever heard. I, but I wish I didn't say yes to the Legion of Doom unless it was the Legion of Doom. I was like, I kept, I remember thinking to myself, is anyone going to care about this book? And, and by the way, I joke all, I've written over 100 comic books, is like, hands down, the worst reviews I ever got in my life because <laughs> no one cared about Heat Wave in this story. But that led, it's a long way of getting to, they, you know, they were like, we love working with you and, you know, um, we're going to do this, we're going to relaunch, we're going to do this thing called The New 52, is there any titles you'd like? And I said, you know, growing up as a kid, I was a giant John Ostrander fan, I love Suicide Squad. Outstanding. And, and they said, oh, really? Because we were thinking of that title, what would you do with it? I said, well, first thing I'd do is i put Harley Quinn in it. And they said, Harley Quinn? <laughs> They're like, why? She's, why would she be in, 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 in The Suicide Squad? I said, well, honestly, I said, I think if you're because, you know, they're always talking about grounding things in reality. And I said, I think if, you know, um, Harleen Quinzel, you know, uh, sure. a prof- you know, was a psychiatrist and she turned around and got turned by a patient. The last thing they would do is let her stay in the place she got turned. I said, I think they would ship her off to someplace else. And uh, they said, well, that's nice, but no. Ah. And. And a few months went by and actually Mike March was the Batman editor and right. my editor, Pat McCallan, said, you know, you just got to convince Mike Martz and if he believes in it, he'll go fight for it. And I called him up and I just had this passionate conversation with him about why Harley Quinn had to be in the Suicide Squad. And he went and fought for me and he got her in there. So that's how I got to know Mike. And uh, and then, as they say, the rest is history. You know, she uh, obviously changed the book and, and, and then led to the movie and all those things. Sure. So. So you, I hope you got taken care of uh, for the movie and got a little something for that idea. Sure. Um, so <laughs> you, again, so, I'm not your accountant, and I'm not, and I'm not the IRS. But you, you know, the fans always want to make sure that people who have those kinds of ideas, you know, yeah, do, I think look, get something for thing, it. You know, look, you always know you're work for hire when you work for DC sure. and Marvel. So you know, they have ways of obviously taking care of you. Did I make millions? Of, I think not the movie makes necessarily, but. You know, I, I did. Let's just put it this way. I made, you know, I got I got a nice bonus, but nothing that I would, you know, I couldn't buy a house. Mm, I but, understand. No, 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 I understand. But by the way, 
Jainitz, who created, you know, um, El Diablo, El Diablo, who I put in the book because I remember Phil Hester's amazing cover yes, of the mini together, and I put him in. You know, uh, Jai's been so kind and nice to say how that's changed his life. So they did take care of him, and I know that him and Phil were able to really uh, get taken care of that. So I was so happy to okay. hear that. All right, um, but with all that said and done, so that's how I got to know Mike, and then Mike. When he started Aftershock, definitely sent me an email and said, hey, man, starting this new company and business. I loved him. I, I just think he's a solid guy, solid comic book guy. And then Joe Pruitt, who I had heard about his reputation but did not know uh, and heard, heard only good things I knew was sort of his partner in this. So from a creative point of view, I was in and then I sat down with those two guys and then Lee and John Kramer. And the four of us just hit it up and I actually uh, pitched them at New York Comic Con years ago. I, I literally started pitching him this idea I had called Rough Riders, and I wasn't even done with it. And they were like, we're doing this. So it was awesome. And that started my relationship with them. This is actually my third book with them. So That's excellent. Yeah, and I did want to talk about Rough Riders. And, and forgive me, I'm forgetting your second Aftershock. Today. Normals. The Normals. The Normals. Okay. Well, first, let's stick with Lollipop Kids. Uh, did they find Diego or did uh, did you find Diego? No, you know, I got to give Mike a lot of credit. You know, he's like he mentioned Diego to me and he sent me the art. And I was just like, whoa, I was like, this guy's amazing, man. I was like, where's this guy been? And he's like in South America somewhere. Sure. And I I said, yes, like it wasn't even a thought. And I showed it to Aiden. Aiden was like, yeah, right. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. His art was just so unique. And I felt like we really wanted to grasp uh, the eyes of like the design, the background, you know, I'm obsessed with Easter eggs and he just put so many cool different Easter eggs that we wrote into an email for him. And, you know, he just put so much love and passion into just a idea of a cover into it. And we were like, yeah, we got to get him. That's excellent. And no, he's, he's a really great artist and I've never heard of him prior to uh, this. And that's honestly, and full disclosure to my listeners. Yes. Aftershock comics has been sponsoring Word Balloon episodes. You heard the commercial as we led into uh, this conversation with the glasses. But that said, uh, it's it's really quality work. And truly, they, they find great artists and great writers. And uh, honestly, it's it's great to see these projects happen. And I think they're they're a list books. I mean, and, and truly, I, I've I was enjoying Aftershock Comics before uh, they sponsored. I, I enjoyed uh, Ray Fox's. Uh, a jackpot story, and I loved uh, 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 Brian Nazarello and Eduardo Riso's uh, American Monster. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, and, and, and Jimmy's Bastards from issue one. I, I've been a fan of that. So no, I get it. Well, let's. Let, I want to ask you, Adam, about Rough Riders. Then tell me, because I'm a I'm a huge history fan. I love the Teddy Roosevelt story. I haven't had a chance to read Rough Riders. Tell me about it. Well, the idea of Rough Ride, well, first of all, I mean, I'm a big history guy, too. So, you know, I love that time, that turn of the century time. Sure. I love the movie The Wild Bunch, you know, this idea yeah, that. You exactly. Know, it's that it's that like, you know, the the Western lingered into the earliest 20th yeah. century. I bet you it also as a TV guy probably know one of my favorite like lost TV shows with James Garner. And I'll let you tell the title if you know what I'm talking about. Are you talking about Maverick or are you talking about no, Maverick was great. I'm actually talking about Nichols. Do you know about Nichols? Oh, I do know. I have not. I, I know. It's so funny. I have a friend, Jack Perez, who always talks about that show. That's hilarious. It's, a, it's an interesting show. It's for the listeners who don't know. It was uh, like I want to say around World War One, and he's mm -hmm. like in the cavalry and he he gets out of the cavalry and goes back to this western town. But he, he has a motorcycle and he's like the marshal 
of, you know, one of these towns where the rich baron, you know, kind of runs the town and everything. And yeah. it's terrific. And it's got that Rockford Files Maverick kind of humor to it because it's James Garner and it's his same favorite people that he took with him to the Rockford Files. It only lasted a season. Marco Kidder is like a young ingenue on the show because it's like 1972, like five years before, or actually, I guess, six or seven years before Superman. Yeah. And she's amazing. And it's it's a great, great show. It only, like I said, only lasted a season, but it's a really interesting show. And it is that period of the West the lingering into the 20th century. But go on. So Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, so <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt, to me, and I've read many books, I've always, you know, I've always idolized him. I've actually always idolized him. I've always idolized Houdini. They've sort of been the, the two people that... Um, you know, when other kids had like Michael Jordan on their wall, <laughs> I was like, you know, I was the nerd, history nerd who like totally dug them. But the thing I always thought about Teddy Roosevelt was he was Bruce Wayne of like the gaslight time, you know, That's like it, he's turning to electric, you know, I mean, yep. super wealthy guy who fought for the downtrodden, the poor, you know, he loses his wife and his mother. They both die at the same time, her giving childbirth and his mother, a room across from each other when he's 23 years old. And what does he do? He turns around, and he moves to the Badlands for four years, he disappears and he like reinvents himself and he comes back this cowboy that we know sort of the rest of life, sort of like how Batman took his journey, you know, after his parents died and he gets older. So there's so many similarities and, you know, there was the public persona of who Roosevelt was and there was this – everyone always would talk about this sort of deep darkness that was within him. So the idea I had was like what if the Spanish-American War was really not Spanish-American War but an alien invasion <laughs> and, of course, the five richest men in the world, you know – uh, you know, Carnegie and J.P. Morgan and, you know, all those guys in Rockefeller sort of said, hey, you need to go. You know, you're the guy. You need to go basically <laughs> see what's going on down there. And he decides to do it. He hates them, by the way. But he says, you know, I'll do it. And he sort of takes the greatest sort of people of his time. And so there's a young street musician in Coney Island named uh, Harry Houdini, you know, who, which is true. He was, he was doing shows at, in Coney Island at that time. It was the beginning of his magic career. Uh, there is a sharpshooter who travels around with the Wild Bill show called Annie Oakley, who was probably the most really – the one I discovered the most about. It was pretty amazing and, and in her own right. Uh, there's a – I love boxing, big boxing fans. So, of course, there's Jack Johnson who becomes the first black heavyweight champion of the world. And then really the first famous gangster, Monk Eastman, who uh, preceded sort of like you know, most of the gangsters, Al Capone and everybody that we know. Um, and then finally, uh, last but not least, uh, Einstein, who uh, not Einstein, excuse me, Edison, who was a real SOB. Yeah, he know? is. <laughs> and history has really whitewashed him, and I do not at all. Um, That's great. That Well, you know, uh, Matt Fraction years ago with Five-Fifths of Science, I think, Edison was one of the bad guys in, in that. I, Dude, I was one of those third and fourth graders. And you got to watch out for these biographies that schools give you because just like your dad said, they'll whitewash a historic character. And, you, and it's like, wow, Thomas Edison was this really neat guy. And then, of course, as your dad knows, there's these great old black and white movies of Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy, you know, the, the, the clean-cut all-American guys playing Edison. And then you find out what a jerk he was and how horrible he was. And he was like the original corporate jerk that was like stealing people's ideas and making him his own well he so. was really he, he is the steve jobs of his time you know and that's true uh, too you know if you really look at steve jobs i mean steve was an amazing marketer but you know steve didn't create the computer you know steve did, you know yeah but you know he definitely like there's that great moment in that movie and he's like you know 
uh, people play in the orchestra, I play the orchestra. Mm, you yes. know, that's, yes. that's, that was Edison, you know, Edison, no, totally. and Edison had no issue with it. Edison saw what he was doing. Like he was, he was like, you know, Hey, I'm, I, I gave you the money, Tesla. I gave you this. You couldn't have, you didn't have the lab. You didn't have anything. I own it, you know? Yeah. And Tesla was like, go to hell. Mm, so, so. <laughs> It was crazy because this little sort of fun adventure story that I started to write with these characters turned into uh, 18, 19 books, you know, and became like three or four different adventures. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I was thankful for Aftershock support of it. And the book grew and Pat Olive was my artist and was amazing. Yeah. He just was just blew that book out of the water and um, also became a very close friend and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, the whole thing was just an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, I, I almost can't believe it's over, but we, we, we wrote some really great books and found our own little fan base. And uh, who knows? You never know. Maybe the Rough Riders will ride again. So there's three trades or four trades? Three trades. Yep. Terrific. Third trade. Well, yeah, that's third cool, trade. man. Hey, it's always good to have a back catalog. And, you know, yeah. that's that's the kind of thing that uh, look at Remender and Bendis and all the all the things that they've written over the years that – you know, didn't continue, but uh, people find them because they get attracted to their writing and stuff, and, and they're looking for their back catalog. So nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. So what was the Normals like? Well, the Normals really is funny. Normals sort of came out of a different place for me. Normals is like, I think as writers, we sort of write the things that either aspire us or the things that we fear the most. You know, I was sort of making a joke earlier about sort of my age, you know, and it was like, I turned 50 and, you know, there's <laughs> less years, you know, in front than behind. I and, hear you. I'm you know, you. <laughs> and, and uh, I'm about to send one kid off to college and another's not far behind. And so I started to think about, you know, everything about loss of family, you know, my parent, my mom getting old and you know, just all this stuff. And I started to decide, well, what if I put that through the lens of a sort of a sci-fi sort of story? So the idea is sort of about this family that um, – you know, finds out that they're actually robots, you know, and so it starts to question what's real and what's not real and what's love. Is it really love? Or are you programmed to love? Are you, you know, uh, you know, it, it really starts to question all that stuff. And, and it's about this guy trying to hold his family together as they sort of are on the way towards the robotic robot apocalypse. So, wow, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's, it was really, really personal. So, um, yeah, you know, it was it was uh, I'm I'm so glad I did it and actually I'm adapting it right now for Fox cuz Fox optioned it. So Oh, wow, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah. So There's uh, a great robot zeitgeist in the world right now with uh Ex Machina is a tremendous story and uh, uh yeah. The Humans uh TV series, I know. Yeah. Right is the Humans. So what was the one with yeah. uh William Hurt? You know, it's The Humans. It is The Humans. Good. Which is interesting. I always say like the humans is sort of more of a apartheid story. They're second class citizens and citizens in sure. Westworld. Westworld, it's more about. Of course, sort of, Westworld. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I like Westworld, but Westworld's more of a puzzle show, you know. And Agreed. I so so this is like my what my pitch on this is like, no, the show, the robots are starring in it. They're the stars of the show and they're the number one thing. And you're sort of following them and feeling them because it's being put through the lens of a family. And we're all family no matter what, if you're a robot or not, you know. Sure. So it's all that stuff. And it's and it deals a lot actually with fear, you know, and that's something that I think drives people uh, and has definitely drove evolution and continues to drive us as, as human beings. And, and if robots can f- feel fear or if you think you're human and find out you're a robot, you know, uh, how much will that fear uh, help you, save you or keep you human? That's excellent. And obviously some of the same uh... – uh, ideas that I think Tom King was exploring in his Vision Maxi series as well. 
Yes. Oh, do you no, do you worry when you when you're writing something like that? Um, Tim Seeley uh, created Hack Slash, and he stayed away from Buffy as much as it was great and everything, yeah. and he knew it was great. Or even yeah. I know uh, Kirkman and Max Brooks were both writing, you know, their zombie stories at the same yeah. time, Walking Dead and yeah. World War Z, and they stayed away from each other. They didn't read yeah. each other's stuff because they didn't want to, you know, yeah. accidentally have anything seep in. Do you, did you kind of find yeah, yourself doing was- the same thing? I didn't even know that about some of the, like people told me after the book was out, you know, and, and, uh, and I think Tom's such a good writer, but you know, I heard about it afterwards and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, and I, then of course I was like, Oh, maybe I should have done it as the vision. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more people be talking about it. Uh, and even though I know his Mr. Miracle is supposedly great too, but I have not read that either. Um, mostly out of jealousy but uh <laughs> tom's a good guy don't worry yeah that's i love all right. it. Oh, I, told, I get it man and that's that's cool and what are your favorite comics um i really like um uh the metal batman series it's like all the different uh universes. heavy metal yeah yeah I, oh, god i'm so i'm sorry i'm blinking out sorry yeah but you know what, all, but you should also talk about it like your like how you came to it um, yeah, no, uh, I, I started like, so kids nowadays, all my friends that I know, they didn't learn all these superheroes from the comics. They first started off with the animated series Sure. Um, when they did reruns on Saturdays of Justice League Unlimited. And then they had the Batman, the animated series that my dad had DVDs that he got and I would rewatch them. Cool. Uh, and then obviously the Arkham games came in, you know, the Spider-Man games oh, came God, in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, I went from there and I'm like, well, the comic books is the quote unquote mother box of all of this. So I went to the comics and uh, started reading them like my dad did. And I read a bunch of his uh, old boxes that he had and I picked them out. You know, I had some X-Men, of uh, old X-Men of his. some Claremont X-Men. Yep. uh, Some (laughs) Spider-Man and some uh, detective comics that he had. Um, And that's how I really started. And then uh, um, when my dad started writing comics, I would read his and I'm like, give him ideas for his next one that he would have. And so, yeah, no, um, every time my dad writes something, I'll always read it. I wish I had more time to go to comic book stores and get it, but I've been so busy, you know, with high school lately. But um, every time I have free time to read a comic book i'll so take it there you go man that's what summer's for no i understand and they yeah they give you plenty to read in high school and certainly you'll find that in college as well i always look forward to summer because then it was like okay now i get to read what i want to read for a couple months so I, I I know that feeling. Believe me, that's that's terrific though. That's great. No Justice League Unlimited. Did you watch? Did you guys watch uh, Justice League Action, the more recent Justice League uh, show? They kind of buried it on Cartoon Network. No, no. we're sitting here looking at each other. We're like, there you we- go, man. It's yeah. you know Paul Dini and a lot of the old uh, Justice League Unlimited writers worked on the show. They were brief. It was uh, scheduled as a fifteen minute show, so with commercials, it was really like nine minutes. But they're incredible. They're on DVD, and surprisingly, a ton of story just for nine minutes. But, yeah, it was on, I want to say, two years ago is when it debuted, and they made a ton of them. But uh, it was it was buried in, in uh, Chicago. They'd show up at 6 in the morning, and I imagine you guys were getting it on the coasts, both coasts, at like yeah. 7 in the morning or whatever. But literally like from 6 to 6.15, and they'd only show one segment, and then you know move on to a different show and everything. So it was like... Okay, I guess Cartoon Network really yeah. doesn't care about this show, but it was fantastic. Oh, we'll have to check it out. I was going to say the other great show that I remember you watching a lot as a kid, we watched together, was Batman Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Oh, that sure. Was, 
Yeah. And then we watch Young Justice, and I'm so excited for the new season. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too, man. Absolutely. So are you guys hooked up for uh, DC Universe then? Yes. Yes, of course. Excellent. Very <laughs> yeah. cool. I'm going to go to the Titans premiere, actually, next week. So. Oh, that's great, man. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's starting up in a couple of weeks. That's true. Um, yeah. I talked to Brian Edward Hill, who's uh, working on the Titan yeah. show and just had a nice run on Detective Comics and is getting ready with his uh, Outsiders comic and everything. So. Yeah. I was just I just hung out with him at Long Beach. Him and I actually spent the afternoon together and caught oh, that's up. That's great. We didn't know each other, so we got to know each other. And actually, we were hooked up by Aftershock. Aftershock said you guys should get together. Uh, Lee Kramer over at Aftershock said you two would like each other, so we got together and hung out. And then actually, the cool thing was we hung out, and then Marv Wolfman showed up, and then I introduced Brian to Marv, and the three of us got to hang out. So that was nice. That's excellent. Fantastic, man. Yeah. So uh, Adam, are, and forgive me, are you still writing Titans or no? I am. I am. I actually. Oh, that's just, great. I'm What's going on at Titans? Forgive me, because truly, I uh, now are you doing? I'm doing the, Teen Titans. I, so what I basically did was I turned around and I, uh, you know, I got I got that call again from Dan Didio, who's been you know very sweet to me, and he called me and just said, you know, he knew it was probably one of my favorite books, Judas Contract, and Marvin sure. George Perez's run on it was probably the quintessential book for me as a kid, you know. Um, I know for a lot of people it was Claremont and, and Lee, who I also were big fans of, but that that was Teen Titans for me. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm the same way. Actually, Legion was my book. Oh, I love I, But I appreciated I appreciated the Titans as well. I, we, we're always talking about why it's unbelievable that there's no Legion book out there right now, but it's it's, it's coming. We all know it's coming. We're, yeah. we're watching it Doomsday Clock. Well, and, Dan, and Dan's a big fan, too, <laughs> Didio of Legion. So he's. He, I know he's got. they got some plans. But uh, what I was going to say is, um, so yeah, they basically said, you know, can you do what you did with Suicide Squad? Can you reboot this title and, like, bring something to it, sort of something fresh to it? And so I turned around and uh, said, sure. And so sort of first thing I did was – I just took Damian Wayne and said, let's give him peers that are his age, not 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 him sort of supervising a group of, you know, as he would call it, Dick and Tim's hand-me-downs, you know. Um, so his own generation, you know, everybody's like 14, 13, 14, 15, and he's really the leader and nobody's questioning his leadership. And more importantly, he sort of has the theory that whatever the grownups, you know, as he says, his dad and the uh, – and the big, you know, big alien Boy Scout friend of his, you know, they started these rules, you know, you know, a long time ago that all the heroes are sort of go by. But the truth is um, the rules don't work anymore. You know, the revolving gate that is Arkham and Blackgate and, you know, and Bell Riv and all that stuff like, you know, it's just it's not working. And that, you know, basically they have to sort of stop crime before it happens, you know. So he he starts to sort of take on a different sort of persona of how he wants to uh, be, you know, a superhero. And he finds like-minded people like him. So that's sort of the new Teen Titans. And the biggest part of that, I mentioned it earlier, and sort of the character that's popping right now because I got to sort of do like – I did a little bit of what you know uh, George and Marv did, which was it's – I took three characters, Red Arrow, Kid Flash, and um, uh, Red Arrow, Kid Flash, and I'm trying to think who else I took. I'm sorry. I'm a little tired. Red Arrow. No problem, I know. End of the day. It's all right. And no, no, then I created three new characters, Kid Flash, yeah, Robin and Red Arrow. Yeah, those are the three. So I got my speedster. I got my, you know, my arrow and I got my Batman. And then I added three new characters. Um, One, which actually Aiden helped me create named Roundhouse, um, who basically is an elemental. He can turn into any ball, fireball, snowball, you know, (laughs) ball, like, you know, he's like, but he's 
like an elemental. Mm, is he know. connected? Is he connected to Metamorpho or no, not in okay. any way, shape or form. You'll we're actually finding out his story. Then the next character is Jin, which is sort of like you know my version of a raven and definitely a magical character who okay. find out was enslaved for four thousand years. So she's a four thousand year old teenager because she's basically been you know enslaved for the last four thousand years, cool. uh, ser- serving seeing an evil master. And then finally is Crush, who's Lobo's daughter that he doesn't know yeah. about. I know, shocking. <laughs> That Lobo is a has a kid out there that he wouldn't know about, but uh, <laughs> so and her name's Crush and she's pretty awesome and 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 so I'm having a lot of fun doing that book right now too. That's excellent, man. No, and I like that. That's a great way because I know they tried to pretty boy up uh, Lobo for you know five five minutes and everyone's like no 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 no. But this is great. This is like uh, Vandal Savage's kid scandal that uh, yep. Gail Simone created for. Uh, Secret Six and everything, and no, I think that's again, it's that kind of good complication of a legacy character that you know, much like Damien's initial role in Batman of oh my god, I I didn't want this, and you know what do you, what do you do when you got a kid that you were looking for? And I imagine with Lobo, it's even worse. <laughs> oh yeah, when they see each other, it's not going to be good. Mm, it's just that thing. Mm. No, that's a great idea. That's fantastic, man. Very cool. Do you talk to uh, Pete Tomasi? about what you do with Damien, because I know he's kind of Damien's keeper in Super Sons and everything. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I actually signed with Pete at Comic-Con, and he, you know, he had a much bigger, longer line than me. Um, so <laughs> he was a little busy, uh, but, uh, you know, mad respect. And, you know, the editors are all oh, in sure. connection with each other. And, you know, I, I you know, it's funny. He, you know, I, everyone said this and, you know, you have to take what happened after No Justice and, you know, all that stuff. So for me, like, I didn't try to take away any of Damien's sort of like, you know, I know that he evolved, but also I think what happens is certain things can happen to somebody that changes them, makes them either go back to the way they used to think or turn around and basically have a new way that they want to, you know, their NO and how they want to operate. So for me, it was more about, you know, evolving his character and sort of getting more complicated with him. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing with him. You know, I just, uh, moderated a panel at Terrificon in Mohegan Sun uh, in Connecticut, and it was all these Batman writers, and it was about Robin. And it was Denny O'Neill and Jim Starlin, who killed off Jason Todd in the Death of the Family story, and Mike Barr, who had a great run on Detective, and then Pete and Tim Seeley. And my initial question was, where do you see Robin fitting in on the Batman dynamic? And right away, Denny O'Neill is like, I don't understand. what. Why would Batman in the alleys have a kid with a red vest and, you know, green shorts and no pants, because, of course, that was the original design of Robin, as you and I know, Adam. Uh, and, you know, he's like, why would he put a 10-year-old in, in trouble? That makes no sense. And, of course, the answer is, you know, Robin, you know, is the wish fulfillment of all of us young boys that read, the, you know, God, what would it be like to be able to hang out with Batman and be Batman's, you know, second set of hands or his monkey wrenches they say in frank miller's dark knight aiden did you like robin did you always like robin when you first started reading him yeah no i think my first Robin i ever saw was the um uh 66 uh adam west version oh sure burt ward absolutely um and then after that um the original i mean the original teen titans tv show they had sure Uh, 
them that uh, if you haven't seen the Teen Titans Go movie, spoiler alert, they do a little cameo, and it literally made me the happiest person ever when I saw that. I was like, my childhood is coming back. Um, All at 14. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's when I really started like seeing Robin, obviously, in uh, a way other than his uh, old cheesy costume he used to have that I still love. Um, and then obviously when my dad recently told me a few months ago before the book came out that he's going to do Robin, I'm definitely excited. You know, recently he's been asking me some ideas to help him out with some, uh, upcoming events that might happen with Robin. But, um, yeah, no, I've always really enjoyed Robin. That's awesome, man. No, I, I, I feel the same way. It was funny getting that, uh, uh, you know, from from Denny and good. I don't get it. And then, of course, Jim Starlin's like, "Well, I killed a Robin, so you know how I feel yeah. about him." Yeah. So uh, no, it was it was a lot of fun and uh, yeah, great character. And certainly, the various Robins are very interesting, distinct people as well. Tim Drake and Jason Todd, and certainly Dick Grayson and Damien. And I I love Dick Grayson and Damien's relationship, and uh, I love the way that that Dick Grayson has evolved over the years. And I think is. You know, a tremendous character, and you know, God in the hands of Tim Seeley and, and Tom King became, you know, a super spy and was important even without a mask. You know, Grayson was a great spy book and everything. So, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the legacy of Robbins and Damien. You know, Damien could have been another Jason Todd that the fans would have rejected, and I think because of the right writers and, and in the right hands and stuff has become this uh, real staple. And no, we uh, him and John Kent. I think it's it's great how the fans have really embraced both of those guys. Yeah, agreed, 100%. Um, you know, I love writing him. He's a lot of fun. And, you know, kids always think they know it all. Damien is pretty close. <laughs> sure. <laughs> he does know a lot of stuff. So, you know, it's awesome. Well, and, and then, you know, every now and then his age betrays him. And I think that's great because you need that inner conflict. And, I, you know, that's what makes a, a character interesting. Very cool, Adam. I, honestly, Adam, I, I congratulate you guys. I think Lollipop Kids is a great uh, – it's a great start, great first issue. And uh, when does it come out, or is it already out? It comes out actually at New York Comic Con, the weekend of New York Comic Con. That oh, Wednesday. terrific! That Wednesday. Yes, sir. So fantastic! So yeah, so just uh, damn, we're uh, we're you know just over a week away as far as when this is coming out as of, as of this recording. Less of the, than a week when when this comes out uh, at the end of uh, this recording week here on Word Balloon. So we'll make sure this gets out before uh, next uh, Wednesday. But uh, that's excellent. You got to be excited, Aiden. That's that's terrific, man. You, so, uh, is this your first? This is your first signing, I'm assuming. But yeah. uh, have you, so, were you at Long Beach? Did you did have you gone to conventions? How many conventions have you gone to? Oh, I've been to comic San Diego Comic Con, obviously for how many years now? Uh, uh, you're think, 14, 10 years. Yeah, I've been going for. Wow, 10. that's great. And then I've been going uh, last year's or uh, no last no two years ago was my first year at New York Comic Con, and I've obviously uh, been to Kamikaze that they do here for Stanley. Um, oh, I've yes, also been to Long Beach a few times and WonderCon once. But yeah, no, I love going to Comic Cons uh, or as I like to call it the cons. Um, <laughs> but it's just so cool because you get to meet people like you who have so much in common. And I mean, I really feel like I mean. I can be more of myself. I mean, I can't, like, some of the kids at my school aren't into, like, comic books and action figures and stuff. But when I go there, I get to talk to people about, like, collections that we all have. And it's so fun. Um, But also, I just want to thank, again, Astroshock for giving me this opportunity. It's such a unique thing for a 14-year-old boy to write a comic book with his dad. 
Hey, man, I hope this is uh, the start of uh, you doing a lot of writing uh, because, again, I think the proof is there in this first issue of Lollipop Kids. And, uh, no, I hope you guys have a great signing. I'm, I'm hoping to uh, see you while I'm there. I'm going to be uh, roaming, roaming around, and uh, I'll certainly make my presence known at the Aftershock booth and thank them for uh, supporting Word Balloon as well. But, uh, yeah, great start, man. And, again, I, I urge people to check it out. The great thing is they can go to aftershockcomics.com and check out some sample art and, and get a full description of what the story's about. But uh, I don't think they'll be disappointed. I'm, uh, I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. You also can check out Aftershock on their Instagram where they leak some stuff sometimes. So Nice. Is it under is, – is it just Aftershock or is it Aftershock Comics? Is that their yeah, Instagram? Aftershock Comics. Makes sense. Okay, cool. That's See, I haven't been checking out their Instagram. Shame on me. I should do that. That's <laughs> excellent. So, yeah, man, that's great, guys. Uh, congrats and uh, continued success for both of you. Um, so can you say what you're working on right now, uh, Adam, as far as TV or no? I can't, unfortunately. So hopefully soon it will get announced. All right, man, no problem. And, uh, yeah, hey, come back, and uh, we'll talk more about uh, – I always like talking to uh, the guys that also have one f- foot in the television world because this is such an interesting time in television, and DC Universe about to you know join the world with uh, its uh, streaming product. And, uh, no, man, I'm, I'm watching as much uh, streaming television as I am cable and over-the-air television. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting time in television, and I like to know what uh, the people that are actually in the arena – I think he is. They're making this stuff. So I hope you'll come back and uh, we'll talk more about that. I love it, man. That's excellent. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, again, Lollipop Kids, it uh, comes out uh, this coming Wednesday right before New York Comic Con. And if you're going to the con, make sure you hit the Aftershock booth and meet Aiden Glass and Adam Glass. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Lollipop Kids by Adam and Aiden Glass and Diego Yapur. It came out last week, but don't forget... If, uh, for whatever reasons, you can't find it at your comic shop, you can order it with the diamond codes and find that and a better description and even some art from Lollipop Kids. Go to AfterShockComics.com. Let's talk about Aftershock Comics, today's sponsor. You've seen their stories on the racks at all of your favorite comic shops. These are great books, and it starts with the covers, but the interiors don't disappoint as well, and certainly the stories. A whole slew of fresh, high-concept titles written and drawn by your favorite creators. There's books like The Brothers Dracul, The Early Years of Vlad the Impaler from Cullen Bunn and Mirko Kolak. Beyonders from my buddy Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair. There's Pestilence from Frank Thierry and Oleg Okunev, where the 14th century Black Plague is actually revealed to be the first recorded zombie outbreak. How do those guys deal with it? Find out in Pestilence. These creators came to Aftershock to tell their kind of stories with no rules, no forced continuity, just a new platform to tell great fresh concepts. Take a look at some of these titles like Monstro Mechanica from Paul Aller and Chris Evenweiss. That's a steampunk story involving Leonardo da Vinci, his female apprentice Isabel, and their wooden robot Monstro Mechanica. That collected trade is already out this month. There's Hot Lunch Special, a Midwestern noir from Elliot Rael and Jorge Fornes. There's Jimmy's Bastards, one of my personal favorites, from Garth Ennis and Russ Braun. Not to mention all the great war comics that uh, Garth is doing now at Aftershock. In the weeks ahead, I'll be talking to more creators about their books, but you don't have to wait. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local comic shop at AfterShockComics.com. I'm telling you, go over there. 
go to your store, check out the Aftershock books on the racks, go to the website, read the descriptions of the stories. You're going to find something that you like at Aftershock Comics. All right, let's get into our next conversation. It's Howard Chaikin. He, uh, we have the same tastes. He, he absolutely would have been one of these uh, guys as you get older and you meet friends that are older than you that you find you have the same interests and stuff. And what else should I read, man? What else should I watch? What else should I listen to? Whether it's jazz, books, comics, movies, television, we crack each other up. And it's great that I uh, feel like I can speak Howard's language as much as a uh, junior can to a senior. If you haven't been reading Hey Kids comics, uh, the themes are very familiar. Uh, we're talking about creators that are feeling screwed by the big publishers, maybe not getting their fairest share of the money as these things become uh, television and film properties. Uh, backbiting, deceit, uh, screwing each other over to get a good job, uh, feeling unappreciated as a woman, feeling unappreciated as a person of color. Uh, it wasn't just happening today and yesterday, kids. It was happening decades ago at the start of comics. And uh, that and the madman aesthetic, as Howard says, is part of the charm, I think, of Hey Kids Comics. We're two issues in. It's a great series from Image Comics. You're going to hear more about it and uh, a lot of more of what's on Howard's mind these days. Comicsgate does come up. Uh, he's in an interesting position uh, as being attacked by both the right and the left. What the hell? But he, as he says, Howard's always been an outlier. I always thought he was bigger than that, or at least bigger than he seems to think. I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are after you hear this interesting and amazing interview. Really funny conversation. Howard Chaikin on Word Balloon. So what are we talking about today, John? Well, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about Hey Kids Comics. Ah, that thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great start, Howard. Great two issues. Well, thanks, thanks. I'm, I'm very grateful. I mean, we're, I'm, as I speak, I'm working on issue five. Um, I'm in the 1950s of issue five. Um, each issue, as as you know, some if, if you've seen the second issue, you know that each book is formatted in the same way. It's um, it's it's anecdotal period in, in information of 45, 55, 65, and 2001. The first and last issue have the first issue has a cold opening, and the last issue has a coda. But the others are all basically those four those four eras. And of course, each 2001 is about a memorial. Someone's dropping dead. Yeah, and um, <laughs> you know we're we're and I. I, I, I've been, you know, reductively referring to it as Mad Men of the comic book business, but after having watched the first, the, the season opener of the second season of The Deuce, at which point I was talking to my wife and said, if you look really close in the back by me, that's me back there. There I am. I'm, <laughs> there. Um, I'm realizing it has more in common with that because it is, because Mad Men was never really a, a literal Roman Eclef. Um I mean, you can certainly identify certain aspects of, uh, of, 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 of the character that, of what's the name, um, of, of Roger Sterling and Don, Don Draper as mm-hmm. Jerry Delafamina, and um, mm-hmm. and and Peggy as 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 uh, Mary Wells, but watching the Deuce, I can really identify uh, specific. You know, I, that's you know she's clearly supposed to be her, and he's supposed you know that kind of thing. Okay. And there's a lot of that in in, in in Hey Kids comics. Although I although I, I abhor the guessing game because uh, there are some that are obviously really obvious, and there are some characters that are clearly you know very very opaque conflations. Of, uh, of actual people, yeah, there are some on the nose, and yeah, if you know your if you know your basic comic history, and most people don't, so it's a brand. New, it's like science fiction for these schmucks. You know, I know. So it's, <laughs> um, it staggers me just how how little the people in our field, both in terms of the enthusiasts and the professionals, have any knowledge, understanding, or interest in the history of where the work where the work comes from. 
But that's, um, you know, that's just society in general, Howard. We're, I'm hip. No, yeah, exactly. In, in curiosity, there's almost an, almost an ahistorical nature. Um, you know, that, that, they are, that there's this idea that, that you know, the world was born with them. <laughs> and, um, and I stand on the shoulders of giants, and I'm telling the story of those giants on whose shoulders I stand in this book. Um, the, the, first, the first arc is five issues, and God willing, the God I don't believe in, uh, that I have a second arc, um, that will be four issues, which will be about, we'll start in 1951 and end in 1971. And it'll, it'll cover, it'll be bookended by EC and my generation with a surprising element con- of connecting tissue, which I will not go into at this point. Okay, and you know, that answers one of my questions, because the periods that you, you know, selected for this first arc, yeah, you jump over the, you know, you like you said, 65 is a period, but yeah, where are the 70s, where are the 80s, if they well, are the, the third, the third arc is the same. I, I, wanted, I wanted to start with, Pete, with with a book that was about everybody who was dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm quite serious. I mean, it's, it's, there's, I frequently reference Stephen Sondheim from his book, Finishing the Hat, where he talks about, you know, he talks shit about a lot of people. And what he says there, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I only speak ill of the dead because can't, they can't defend themselves and you can't hurt their feelings. Right. <laughs> and I respect that deeply. You know, um, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's much Jewisher than don't speak ill of the dead. Well, fuck them, they're dead. Um, so I, I take that very seriously. And, and, and the first talk of Hey Kids really is about mostly people who aren't dead or should be. Um, and the second arc will be, assuming whenever it comes out, a number that people might be dead. Um, yeah. And the third arc will address my, my generation. It'll be the 70s through now. And it'll talk about the, just the element of blindsiding that took place in my generation as, uh, as we got older. Um, I was fascinated by someone who read the first two issues and was able to nail exactly what I was doing thematically. Because I thought I, I might have been being too oblique. Um, but the book thematically is about mis- misunderstanding and misinterpretation of the value of the work being made. Um, and I, I was talking about bitterness, and I explained that I, you know, I, I know a number of people in my, of my generation who were just as bitter as, say, Jack Kirby was or Wallace Wood was. Okay. And, and I just, I lack that bitterness. I mean, I'm, all I'm bitter about is money. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to have been able to make a living for 47 years doing something that was my hobby, for Christ's sake. Sure. And I, and I don't have any illusions or expectations of it any more than I got. And um, I also stand on the belief that I said on Facebook some months back that comics is, has more in common with the, with, with the Jesuit priesthood than anything else. It's a calling. And that anybody who tells me that came to comics as a second choice I feel like I'm in the company of a liar. I mean, I think it's it's inculcated into your system the minute you see it, and you, and you become part of a, a universal whole. Not to sound too cosmic about it, but I'm really mean that comics is a, a a calling and an emotional trap for those of us who love the material so much, and that's me. You have to do yeah. it. No, I understand, yeah. man, yeah. and that's I mean, absolutely that's me with radio. I totally understand, and that's that, yeah, that's the allure I, yeah, of radio. From, from what I know about you, I think that's right. Yeah. You know, no, I get it. And also, you know, with age, it's, you know, they say wisdom, it's perspective. I see it. I mean, and again, forgive me, but, you know, what the hell do I know what I'm talking about and everything? But yeah, it just seems like you turn left, you know, a million times and, and you get bad results and finally it dawns on you one day, you know, maybe I should have turned right. Right. And maybe I'll start doing that now. 
Well, and also not, I, not I, holding grudges, like you said, in terms of, oh, I should have been or I could have been and yeah. the business sucks and fuck them and everything. It's like, no, man, you're, it's your own game. It's your own deal. I mean, I, I am here where I am physically and spiritually because of a choice I made at the age of 35. Um, I recognized at 35, I had, a, I had an epiphany, um, one weather, two actually, one weather-based and one spiritually-based. The first one was that I could no longer accommodate living in New York City. You know, for all those, I thought you missed the season. Never the fuck, no. <laughs> I really love living in a place with no season. It's really good. I'm with it's you. It's cold. Oh, it's 58 degrees. It's cold. My, my nipples are hard. Oh, so, you know, but, I'm, but the other one was more important, which was that I realized at 35 that I had no prospects and that I was a cult figure and would always remain so that I was never going to be a big earner in the context of comics, and that I had no real franchise following collectively that was going to support me until I got this old. So I had to do something else, and I did, um, and I'm really grateful for that. But the truth is, once that once I'd accrued what I needed to get the lifestyle I wanted, I was able to go back to comics with a clear head and a clear conscience. Uh, the only thing is, of course, I missed the 90s, which, of course, was the worst comics made since the 1940s. And But so many came in, so many people came into the business that there are now is a, and actually a large number of, of, of my professional colleagues have no idea who I am, which I find staggering. Um, but again, that lack of curiosity on, on what, what happened around them or before them is is a da- the damning nature of, of, of much of the people working in the comic book business and the world in which we live as well. Yeah. Um, the cultural amnesia supports more careers than you can possibly imagine. I'm, I have no doubt. Well, you know, Tarantino, I think, is, is uh, benefits from that amnesia in, well, in a lot of his I, 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 I don't think that's, that's right. I don't buy that. I, I, okay. find, I think Tarantino is, is someone who rewards an understanding of the history of where it's coming from. Um, I, I mean, I, I like the work he does. Um, I, I like the, the, the obsessive fanish nature of it. Um, I don't love the work. I mean, I found seeing Inglorious Bastards the second time, I enjoyed it far more the second time than the first. I found it annoying in the beginning. And, and, and the second time I watched it on TV, I really dug it. I really did. Um, it, it made me really appreciate um, performances by people. that I, did. I mean, it, it, Christoph Waltz was amazing. Daniel oh, yeah. Brule was really good. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure I know. Which, I, I'm not sure I agree there. But, you know, it's in comics. I mean, comics is so tiny and, and so, so utterly irrelevant to the mass market in, in, the, in the weirdest way um, that when, when one gets bitter about not being known for what you do, it's absurd when you realize that it's like being the world's tallest midget. Who gives a shit? <laughs> um, you know, I said last night when I was at an art center, I said, but the only genuine genius working in comics today is Kevin Feige. Interesting. Because he has managed to monetize to the tune of billions uh, secondary material based on primary material, which 99.99.99% of the people spending those billions have no idea exists. And if they do know, they don't give a shit. It's, cause the, there's, there's no trickle-down, you know. I've been to a half a dozen conventions this past year where the predominant presence were... People who were at the convention, who were utterly civilian with no interest and no, no enthusiasm for the material, were simply seeking a functional souvenir of their movie-going experience. Yes. You know? That, and, absolutely, uh, man. You know, I want that Deadpool comic book to make me feel good about having seen the movie. And um, that's, you know, I, you, can't, you, cannot, you cannot stand against the tide of reality. 
Um, on the other hand, I consider myself very grateful and very lucky in that I'm able to build a career without doing the same bullshit that everybody else did, without tying myself to a commercial character. Yep. I don't. I don't share. The, I don't. I don't share the audience at Zeitgeist in any real way. And um, I. I think the dynamic of my career, if there was a, a haiku, it's the constant overestimation of the audience. You know, <laughs> and the assumption that the that the audience shares my sensibilities, but it don't. Well, a couple of us do, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, but but you're you're alone in a dark room. I, <laughs> I understand. No, I mean it. I'm serious, pal. <laughs> no, I and I, no, I, I I get it, Howard, and absolutely. But I also think, um, well, the Tarantino comparison to Feige is just what you said in terms of the the uninformed see it as oh my god this is new where did he come up you know how did he come up with that and and no no disrespect meant to Tarantino because people do homages you know that's been going on for decades obviously but um you know yeah I just think um it's more of a magic trick to the uninformed rather than the film buffs that, that, that are that, like that, oh, yeah I, I, let, let me let, let me let me digest and roll Please. that around my head for a bit yeah I can see your point yeah you know I mean I as I've said more than once the 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 lack of research done in material. Uh, I've, I've done a number of interviews where I've been totally blindsided by, by the interviewer literally asking me point blank uh, how I was influenced by this and that or this and that. And I have to explain to them without sounding like a total douchebag that no, they got that from me, but, <laughs> my, but, but they, did, they noticed it and you didn't. Um, because, you know, people, you know, the, when I hear the phrase woke, woke makes me think of a, a peculiar subclass of, of, of culture which presumes that it was born with a, with a conscious awareness without the necessity for continued education. And, and that seems to be a, a, an endemic idea. It certainly is, it, it applies cr- across culture, but it, it's very specific to comics as well in that there's a, there's a flattening of, 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 the, of the, the, the craft to such a degree there's a, you know, that everybody, let, let's, everybody can, it's comics, everybody can know. Sorry, that's not true. Um, there's a vocabulary, there's a syntax, and there's a language. The problem is that the audience is reflexive enough to be easily flattered, easily patronized, and easily pandered to. And its credulity and its fatuousness makes itself, makes it more available to material that doesn't in no way reflect a professional sensibility. Um, as, because they, the audience has been convinced by the by the material that the material is the brand as opposed to the talent, and the the material just isn't that appealing. The the language is what matters to me, not what's said in the language. If that makes any sense, I understand. No, and 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 the craft, I guess, behind it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know. Well, what did tell me about the audience that came last night? You did it, and uh, for I'm sure I said it in the intro, but you did a, a chalk talk last night. Correct. Well, actually, I, I basically sat and, you know, I, I went, I spent three hours talking about myself, which is an absolute treat for an assaultist. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I had a, it was half of the people were students. They had to be there. I told them they could leave anytime they wanted. And, um, and the other half were, 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 you know, the public, you know, including a lot of colleagues who showed up. Okay. And it was a, an overall, you know, it was discussing, discussing how you know, someone who is not naturally skilled like I am could teach himself the skill to do this with, do this work. And that, because I'm not naturally gifted, that the cerebral nature of the work makes it teachable, and and also, just I also t- discussed the the fact that 
you know, for the most part, most comic book, successful comic book guys are one-trick ponies because the audience gloms onto an idea and stays with it and doesn't allow one to step outside. And, and I'm, I'm not that guy. I mean, um, you know, the, the fact that, oh, he's the guy who does, always does blowjobs. But no, you know, the, and the idea that, oh, my, oh, those heroes all look alike, like it's a fucking accident. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, I didn't notice that. I'll have to change that next time I work. No, it's not an accident. It's on purpose, you fucking moron. Um, that... You know, the, and, and that I'm interested in, 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 in different stories. I'm interested in period material, war stuff. You know, I don't care much about the idea of the deus ex machia nature of superhero comic books. I love them as a boy, but, you know, as a grown man, I find them, they're not, inter- they're not interesting to me. Um, I can certainly do them, but, the, but my abstract relationship is such that I'm not interested in being entertained by them. Uh, the last superhero comic book that entertained me, honestly. I mean, I kind of like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I like I like what Alan did with Watchmen, but like so much of what Alan does, it, you know, he, he never had an ending for it. It just you know he's he's coasting along on on his idea and and doesn't really you know give give it a structural finite. Interesting. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and and that and that, that and that's true. It's true of the Swamp Thing saga. Um, it just it does sort of just sort of ends. Eh, it's I'm done. And, um, and, and there are guys who can pull that shit off and, you know, and there are guys who can't. And I, I, I like structure. I like organization. I don't, for example, I didn't start drawing the first issue of anything I've done in the past 15, 20 years without having written the last issue of the arc. So I, I didn't start, yeah. I didn't start drawing the first issue of Hey Kids until the last issue was completely written and edited and copy edited. Wow. Uh, that, that. So not just an idea in your head, but know that you really know where you're where you're going. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I, I work against the back. I mean, I, I know where I'm where I'm going to end. The same. The same is true of, you know, certainly everything as far back as the shadow in '85. Yep. You know. So that, yes, that's and how I, I've I, always worked. Once you said that, that's exactly where I, my head went, and I'm like, yeah, there is a there is a definite ending to your shadow arc and everything. So. No, it's because I mean, it's the laying of pipe. You know that once you do that, <laughs> you 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 have a a, a you, and when you finish that last issue of the arc, you go back to the beginning, and and you can start setting up the expository nature of the of that first arc, so that when you get to the end of it, there's narrative logic built into it that you can that you know. You got in there by by the momentum of, of of the engine of the narrative. That's how it works sure. for me. No, you know? I understood, and you know, I think that as an older reader, that's my frustration with the current comic events. And I don't know how much you're paying attention. I have, I would say nothing. Okay. <laughs> because the events don't have. The endings. It's funny. By this morning, I was uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths had a final ending, you know, in the eighties. But now you look at like Civil War, something like that, and the excuse is, well, that's because you know uh, the the stories are going to continue, and they'll point to like the Galactus story in Fantastic Four, and said, well, you know, right away Johnny was off to college, and he's meeting Wyatt, Wyatt Wingfoot. They didn't all stand around and go, well, we finished that, the end. And I'm like, yeah, but there was an ending to that Galactus story, even though the next issue was still coming out. And uh, they just don't put a button on it anymore. And and but, I'm wondering but, if it's well, finally starting well, to bite them in the ass and realize, the companies, that they do need at least some sort of the end. And, yeah, we all know it's coming out next month. But, yeah, your thoughts, obviously. Well, they can't. I mean, I mean, it's like I'm, I didn't see the, Christ, the the big fat monster Everybody Dies movie this year, what uh, Infinity War or whatever. Okay. I missed it. I, I didn't see it. Uh, I saw Interesting. A, I saw about ten minutes of it over a guy's shoulder silently on an airplane a couple <laughs> months back. 
Okay. Uh, seriously, and and, Good movie. I, and I was and everybody dies. Oh, great! Bing, bing. And I saw, but I did see the Ant Man and the Wasp movie. Okay. Okay. Which I really loved. I thought it was a gas. You know, and then and then then, then at the end, there's that mid credit sequence. Where everybody dies. You know, it's like ah, oh, fuck me. <laughs> it took this this completely charming comedy and made it grim and edgy. You know, because it had a tie into the universe. All these people. You know. But they're not really dead because they're coming back. But, of course so, they are. So it's a bait and switch. Um, and the, the, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to die. I, I, I read about this. I know it's happening. <laughs> um, my wife bought me a smart cremation kit because she got tired of waiting around for me to do it myself. You know, you, you, you basically structure your own cremation. Okay. And, um, and it made me think of Marvel's comics and DC comics and, and that how these characters cannot really change. That, that, that the concept of these books is based on the illusion of change. You know, right. that, uh, that Batman's going to marry Catwoman, but he really can't. You know, and, and, that, and that the audience is, buys into this, this sort of crypto change, this fake change. But they, these characters cannot be allowed to change silly by dint of their, of their cor- the responsibility they have to their corporate owners. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's the illusion of change built into it, you know. Yes, that's um, exactly the... He'll, the... He'll have a di- he has a different costume. Eh, okay. <laughs> you know. For now. Okay. Well, uh, but, okay. But, I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing that I bought into hook, line, and sinker when I was a kid. I loved it. I mean, I, sure. I really did. But as an adult, how can, how can any grown man or woman take this work seriously? <laughs> except except in, in, a, in a universe in which grown men and women read Harry Potter as if it's a real an adult novel, you know? Or Mockingjay or some of this other shit, you know? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, it, it's, the, it's kind of the equivalent of, of listening to Phil Spector records and old rock and roll. It's, you know, and it's, it's part of one's nostalgia for one's past. But, but by the same token... Uh, I'm not particularly interested in in the insufferable narcissism of uh, of the, the the autobiographical comic book movement. You know these guys. I hear you. Um, yeah, so yeah. you know, as I've said more than once, I'm too weird for the mainstream, and I'm too mainstream for the weird. <laughs> so I just find myself working out here on the margins and uh, hoping somebody notices. When you said that you, know? you came to this realization at 35, was this like really like when TV was finished? You were finished with TV, or TV was no? I hadn't done anything. I, at, at, at 35, I was in New York City. Okay, I had no on. money. I had just gotten out of out of the financial hole that Byron working for Byron Price had put me into, okay. thanks to doing the flag book. And I realized that I better find an income stream in some form because it, I, I I recognized this is well before the Hero Initiative. But had I not done this, had I not, had I not moved to California, I would be on the dole with the Hero Initiative, just like so many of these other motherfuckers, as though their yeah. careers are going to last forever. Yeah. And the reality is, I moved to California with the assumption that I could perhaps make some sort of inroad into the movie business, thanks to American Flag, which got some attention in that level. But I ended up in television. It saved my life. I worked on shit I'd never watched, and it, you know, junk that was just utterly hellacious. <laughs> but but I gave the best work I could for that work. And you know, if I if I were forty today with my CV in comics. I'd have a seven-figure development deal. You know, I have no doubt, but they didn't know what to do with people like me back then. Right, yes. You know, I mean, and, and, and the other thing is I also confuse, am I a writer or an artist? Why? The fact is that, that that's the kind of question that only occurs to people who have no understanding of what writing in comic books really means. That when you're reacting to the writing in a comic book, you're not really reacting to text. What you're reacting to is the execution of the writer's script by the artist. And that so much of writing in comics is done, whether good or bad, by the, writer, by the artist. Um, because the artist is not an illustrator. He's rather, he's a graphic designer in the service of narrative. Mm-hmm. And he's, his job is to take literary ideas and translate them into visual, into a, into visual images that have narrative value. 
and um, and that's and that's that's a concept that is really beyond ninety percent of the people who are buying the rights, intellectual property rights to comic books. Um, they tend to regard the writer as the creative talent and the artist as a, a sort of an unfortunately necessary adjunct to the writer's creative process. Um, and that's just not true. It's not the way it is. Understood. And and yeah, and you know something, I take that for granted sometimes and lean more into writing versus art um, and forget, you know, I think subconsciously forget. I mean, I, I'm, I think always on the top of my head, I'm like, yeah, of course it is not only a two-handed job, but really the writer, uh, the artist is the one who has the heavy lifting. And it, that's why it takes them a month to do, you know, a 22-page book and everything. So no, you know, and, and the problem is frequently writers pay, you know, create their own problems by behaving as if, they, you know, in this in this crypto bohemian lifestyle bullshit by, 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 by thinking a month has six weeks in it and behaving in, in an unprofessional manner, which feeds into the, to the writer as the alpha in the business. And, um, I mean, the, the first day of, my, of those Marvel seminars I used to do back in the, in the, uh, in, in the, in the aughts was consisted of yelling at these people to get over their fucking hobby bullshit and accept the fact that you're, you're not putting one over on the man by behaving, a douche, behaving like a douchebag. You are the man. Once you take that king shilling, you're in the army and you're a cog in a corporate wheel. And you either want to do that and do it, or you get the fuck out and do independent comics and fuck the money. You know, but if you're going to be taking Marvel's cash, you got to work by Marvel's terms. That's just the way it is. Agreed. I also think, and it, and it concerns me, that now this double shipping that both DC and Marvel are doing is going to burn people out. Maybe in a good I have, way. I have absolutely no idea what that means because I don't pay attention. I mean, okay. since I mean, DC doesn't have accomplice anymore, now it goes through comicsology. Marvel hasn't had accomplice since year one because, you know, I think, what's his name? Uh, Ike, Ike Perlmutter feels it's a waste of money. Sure. Um, <laughs> so I, have, I don't see comic books anymore. I don't read comics. I mean, I, 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 get this, I, I derive the same pleasure from making them that I once did from, you know, from reading them. So I have absolutely no idea what that means, double shipping. I mean, okay, I well, they're, they're putting out as opposed to uh, 12 issues a, a year. Sometimes they're putting out 18 issues a year. God, DC, when they did a Rebirth, their latest initiative, uh, a lot of, you know, Batman was coming out bi-weekly and suddenly it was 24 so they were, issues they're just a year. Th- th- throwing stuff at the market and hoping to see what sticks? No, I think it was more that uh, I, I think they liked the idea that, or at least fans liked the idea that they didn't have to wait 30 days. Um, and uh, two artists would be on a book to accommodate a 24-issue uh, yearly schedule. But I also think it's kind of burning out artists pretty f- – or, or rather writers pretty fast because, you know, now they got to start – you know, they're, they're plotting uh, sto- story arc B while they're still in the midst of story arc A. And, yeah, in some cases that was always the case. And I know Denny O'Neill's writing, uh, you know uh, – what you know? Multiple story arcs were being developed as single issues were going out. Plot A, plot B, plot C. But I think it's even more intense. I feel like that's what drove Ed Brubaker away from doing Marvel. I think he was having fun until it was like, well, shit. Now I got to think twice as hard to come up with more stories. And it just seems like it's like I said. It seems like it's burning people out working for the big two. But maybe that's a good thing because then that gets them thinking more about their own creator owned ideas. And, you know, I, I mean, I, the fa- I, I, I slipped into a coma about five minutes. I understand. <laughs> uh, n- none of this stuff interests me at all. I mean, Fair it really enough, Because, uh, I mean, I, I'm not interested in the content at all. It's the form that interests me. Well, but, um, I, but, I, but I guess what I'm saying is, too, uh, DC, working for DC and Marvel was the destination. That was the pinnacle, certainly in your era. Now yeah. it almost feels like DC and Marvel is somewhere between college and your first professional job. Because I mean, I have make- to say, though, I mean, I've heard from people at both companies that when, they, when they've, they've interviewed and hired uh, new talent, 
that the new talent has had the nerve to tell them that they won't take notes and they won't they won't make do editorial corrections. And I said, I, I, I was literally gaping at this. I said, what the fuck? How, how did, where, where does some schmuck who comes off the street having done a, you know, some web comic book think he has the right to tell anybody that, that, that that's the way it's going to be? And, and you actually, you, you buy into this shit? You hire these motherfuckers? You know, it's, you know, you are, once you're producing corporate product, you are part of the corporate entity. And part of the corporate entity, your responsibility is that you're not, you're not driving a bus. You're, you're, you're a car and a train. You know, you're participating in a, uh, in a in a collaborative experience that, that 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 covers everything. Your job is not to blow up what's been done before, but to figure out a way to make what's done before work in the context of what you're doing now. That's my take on it, and uh, I stand by that. Um, you know, it's. I mean, I've aged out of both Marvel and DC. Ironically and funnily, I've just I just got two assignments today from one from the, each one from each house that are <laughs> that are curious and odd. Um, so I, I and I'm I'm sort of processing what 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 those assignments mean, you know. I mean I've got, uh, like I said, I'm in, I'm into issue five right now, which finishes the first arc of Hey Kids Comics. Mm-hmm. I'm in the process of writing the the my, my dialogue pass of the script for volume three of Times Squared, which will close that that trilogy. Outstanding. And I've got and I've got the the sequel to Divided States of Hysteria, which is has a different title, so the schmucks who didn't read the first volume won't notice it. <laughs> Um, and uh, that's called oligarchs. For those of you out there who want to hate me in advance, um, and, th- and that's all lined up to do this. So I mean, I've, I always leave wiggle room in my schedule to do other stuff, to do a cover here, a short script there. Sure. And uh, that, 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 that's where this material is. But I'm still sort of processing why these people called me out of left field. So it's interesting. And, to me. Well, well, yeah. All right. So and, uh, I'm assuming you can't reveal. No, I these... can't. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, man. Well, I it's too bad because again, I do think uh, today's comic audience, and I and I know you 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 got your shit for hysteria and everything, but uh, I I disagreed. And again, it's again, it's people who don't aren't used to your material, maybe, uh, whatever. No, I, no, I, I don't think it's that way at all. I think I Tell think it's people who 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 have a very proscribed idea of what, of what material should be, who have a a, a cultural Agreed attunement to, to the idea that. Um, I mean, the, the primary criticism for, from, from, for Divided State did not come from the right wing where it should have come from, because it's an obviously assault on the right wing sensibility. Yes. But from the left, who have, have developed the, you know, whereas, whereas right wing identity politics is of a monolith, left wing identity politics is a series of slivers of, so, of, of, of social groups, who each of whom feel this, the contradictory impulse that they, they want a, a seat at the table to be defined as the, as the norm, while at the same time to have, have a, a kind of a separate status, uh, allowing them to, to function as, as a separate entity and a separate unit. And you can't have a cohesive social and political culture with that sort of slivering and, and, and dividing and slicing of, of social needs. It's just not, it's counterintuitive. Um, and I just, you know, the, much of the criticism came down to the fact that they had decided, based on assumptions, that I was doing a, I was being hostile to, to to the transgender community, not noticing the fact that the transgender character who seemed to give them the most trouble was the heroine of the book, and they became romantically involved with the hero. Yep. Um, had they had they actually read the book, they might have noticed that, but they were too busy telling themselves that they didn't have to read it; they knew how bad it was, and that I was odious. Those words, odious. I love that odious. How nice of that. <laughs> Um, Take and, a shower, um, and, and you know, it's just you know, my feeling is, fuck you, people, fuck you all, and you know, 
do what you want, but you know, how dare you think you have the right to censor me? How dare does this 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 one trick fucking pony who never had a job published in, his, in her life have the gall to say publicly that she will do everything she possibly can to see that Image never publishes such a book like this again? Who the fuck do you think you are? How dare you? Yeah, no, I I, I like I said, Howard. Yeah, and it's it's. It's really it's it's a minefield in terms of each individual has their own belief of what is appropriate and what isn't, and they're very vocal about it. Well, and Harry Shearer said it years ago. Harry Shearer, we we are living in a it? culture in which we define our rights by what we feel like. Yes, and that's yes. just bullshit. It is yeah. just absolute nonsense. Um, complete and total. It's ridiculous bullshit. Yeah, it's one thing to hate it. It's another thing to, you know, sh- well, you know, and it's crazy because it's literally the same tone as, and again, I'm guessing you're not paying attention to the comics gate nonsense. Actually, I was, I was suborned by someone who was a Facebook friend to denounce the comics gate people about a couple of months back. And I knew very little about it because I don't really just don't pay attention to this yeah. shit. And I, and I, I did some, discover, some investigation, discovered that a number of the people who were involved in Comics Gate were my Facebook friends. And I explained in a long post to the effect that um, now that I see these people are, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these people. But at the same time, there's, there's a, I will not step into the, in, into the breach and put myself in a, and climb into bed with people who talk, talked about me precisely this way last year. So I ended up literally unfriending the people who were comic theaters and also the guy who asked me to denounce. Interesting. Um, because I just don't have, I mean, I'm not interested. You know, it's kind of like, I find Linda Sarsour to be a repellent and repulsive figure. Okay. Um, because I think she, she uses the beard of anti-Zionism as a means to, to be a, to be a Jew baiter. Um, and I know a lot of liberal le- leftist liberal Jews who were in bed with people like that. And you know, that, that sort of, you know, that, that currying one's own grave, you know, identifying with the aggressor um, is a kind of a Stockholm Syndrome relationship with, with reality. And I'm, I'm not interested in, in joining, joining an army that, that, that was shitting all over my parade last year. Here, here. So fuck these guys. One more time, I'm out, here, I'm out here on the margins waving goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Don't leave yet, Howard, please. No, I'm, not, I, I, I'm too <laughs> fucking annoying to leave. You know, trust me. <laughs> No, man, I hear you. It's refreshing to get this point of view because, yeah, it really is an us versus them world, and it's only getting deeper. And again, it's part of society. It fast, you know. Initially, it fascinated me, and I'm like, oh, let's let's really hear both sides. And now it really is just white noise, and it's like, oh, all right. look, I mean, I, the fans who, who who attacked me, I can live with. It's the my, my colleagues who joined in the attack. You know, if I hear one more motherfucker say, you know, I'm, I'm all for artistic expression, but, but you're not really, but that, but obviates the, all that, that first part. I hear you. But is exactly, you it's know. a good word. Yeah. And, you know, um, and I, and I've yet to have any one of these people come up to me in person and say, Hey, you suck. <laughs> you know, because they're, 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 they're hiding behind their keyboards. You know, I've not, and no one, and I, and I, and I'm assuming there are people who loathe me. I've been at shows with, I do, I do a lot of conventions. Yeah. You know? The close anybody came was uh, one, one of the people who did the, the performatively moral thing during during the, the, the whole the whole thing with the United States was also a guest at a show I was in in Spain, and she and her husband did everything they possibly could to avoid eating with us, which I was perfectly okay with. I thought it was pretty funny, actually. Wow, you know, Yeesh. I'm shaking my head, man. Well, I, what are you going to hey, pe- know? People suck. <laughs> you, know, <it's> like, <laughs> you know, it's like I really do hate all mankind. You know. <laughs> 
That's lovely. No, I, I well, let's let's get back to Hey Kids Comics and just, yeah, let's. Uh, well, no, truly, man, I, I do appreciate the areas that you're touching on, and you know, there is my mild frustration is some of my other uh, podcast friends and and bloggers who who look at these old eras as if it was the Keebler tree and the Keebler elves are making comics, and I, and. I, <laughs> It's rare that I make you laugh, so I'm going to hold on to that. Oh, well, enjoy the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you know, and you know what I mean, because truly they make it this idyllic period of these, you know, masters of illustration, which from a craft standpoint, they are, but that they they don't really, or at least they don't acknowledge that these guys were grinding this shit out for a check. Um, Some of them self-loathing and that they weren't working for the slick magazines and had to kind of slum it in comics and stuff. I mean, and hated each other. We're yes. in competition with each other. We're fucking each other. That too. Or, you know, we're just and fucking over each other. You that know, too. As much as they possibly could. Um, you know, it's, uh, they're human. And, um, I mean, let's face it. Very few of the enthusiasts have any idea of actually what goes into making comics. Um, that the actual process, the, the idea of getting up in the morning whether you're inspired or not, sitting the fuck down, getting to work, and get the fucking pages out. You know, it's a, it's, it's a job. Comic book fans don't like to hear about that fact. They want, they want the, the, the illusion of the romance of living as an artist. But, you know, I learned how to do comic books from sitting and watching Gil Kane work. You know, I was his gopher and monkey. And, um, and watching him do the job was much more, part, more instructive to me than any of the hands-on work I did for Woody or Gray or Neil. Okay. Um, Gil taught me how to get up in the morning and go to work. Quit fucking around. You know, that's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. No, I can hear that. Is, you know, and good. I'm glad to hear that, you know, that's a good list and everything right there. So what period were you working with Gil? I went to work for Gil when I was 18. I worked for him about a year, in 18 to 19, okay. in the late 60s. And um, you know, his assistant had died in his sleep. A young a guy named Tim Battersby, a 21, undiagnosed heart disease. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, a guy who could have been a player. It was a a guy who sort of you know was was in the Wallace Wood mold. Would have would have turned into, you know, um, a, a Woody acolyte like Ralph like Ralph Reese. You know that that sort of guy, Wayne Howard, mm-hmm. Ralph Reese. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and just you know, woke up dead. And wow. um, the word was that they needed an assistance. I called, and you know, I got the job. And I had I had no skill set. I was just, I mean, <laughs> I was I was shamefully bad. And but I filled in blacks. I ran errands. I did pay stops, and you know, and I I learned how to do my job at the master's knee. Wow. That's cool. And then, mm-hmm. so what was the order of the other guys, Gray and uh, um, Woody? Woody and- Gil, Gil introduced me to Gray. Gray introduced me to Woody. I went back to work for I worked for for Woody. I worked for Gray. And then Neil Adams is around. I did some work with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never actually an assistant the way, say, Alan Cutterberg was. But I go I, I penciled some storyboard stuff, and I learned a lot working with with Neil. You know, um, but I learned from all these guys. I mean, I stand yeah. on the shoulders of giants. You know, I mean, I'm also of a mind that I have no problem acknowledging the fact that I learned from these guys. And there are all these people out there who think that they, that if they acknowledge the fact they learned from somebody else, they're, they're, they're giving up some of their soul. Yeah, fuck that shit. That's not Absolutely. You know. Well, that's a good pedigree of people to learn from, obviously. So what did Gray Morrow teach you? Um, I was just in awe of Gray's, Gray's skill as a draftsman. Yeah. And, um, and I, I ghosted a couple of things for him. You know, I mean, I, 
I, I come of a generation. I don't, I don't talk about the work I did as a ghost for anybody until those guys are dead. Okay. Um, and okay. That, 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 that's sort of the way it is. I, I never talked about the work I did with Gray until Gray was dead or, you know, I mean, I, I ghosted a, a month's worth of sky of, of uh, Starhawks for Gil. Wow. Um, and you know, and I'm really proud of that because many people assumed that I had penciled it and Gil, I'd read that Gil had penciled it and I'd inked it. So, which, which meant that I got inside Gil's head as opposed to merely the, the superficial nature of the, the tropes of Gil Kane, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I know, I, I know uh, Eisner is not a, f- a favorite of yours from a personal level because he attacked you. But well, he, I, I, he was just he was just a douchebag, you know. Wow, because um, well, and I learned uh, a couple uh, people that ghosted Eisner's last couple works, and specifically uh, the Spirit Met the Escapist, uh, Michael Shabon's character. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, got it. It looked like you know genuine Eisner, and it's like, yeah, these are the bare pencils that Will gave me. And I know how to draw Eisner, so I, mm-hmm. I finished the job and everything. And mm-hmm. it's like again, it was it was a revelation to no, you but know, I, me, but, I mean, but I also me. acknowledge Eisner is the guy who invented comic books. There you go. He really did. I mean, and I'm not talking about the spirit. I'm talking about you know the editorial coordination. He did a quality comics. When I was a golden age collector, I only collected DC comics. I didn't know about the quality stuff. I had no idea how, how, how that was. That was the, the real the real cream. You yeah. know, the stuff that, that that Lou Fine was doing, Reed Crandall. Yeah. You yeah. know, that 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 stuff. Eisner really did create the language. You know, I mean, for all the talk about Jack Kirby, Jack was doing Eisner stuff in the 40s. That's what he was doing. Yep. You know, it isn't until Kurtzman comes along somebody else does something else. You know, um, the, Kurtzman, the Kurtzman war stuff is an entirely different way of thinking about action. And um, Agreed, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the three storytelling, it, it's, it's Eisner, Kurtzman, and Kirby Lee. Interesting. And where, does Johnny Craig get in there? or, or no, no, Craig, Craig is doing Eisner. Okay. Interesting. Okay, sure. All right. So is Woody. I mean, they're all doing Eisner. I mean, Eisner, Eisner created the language. He was the one who took what he could from the newspaper strips and translated it into a single-page idea. You know? Okay. And the spirit, was, the spirit was a place for him to do kind of evocative, interesting stuff. But, you know, even... You, you look at all the stuff that came out of quality. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that just... It, it has a, a momentum and a rhythm that is purely from Eisner. You know? All those... The, are, the, only, the only... I mean, the, the stuff that stands apart from him is... the. The, cat, the the Jack Cole's Plastic Man stuff. Sure. And and uh, Crandall's, Crandall's Blackhawk covers. There you go. Yeah, so Plastic Man, Crandall, uh, well, I mean, what Black I said Hawks. last night is I think the three the three greatest com- comic book cover artists that ever ever lived were Reed Crandall's Blackhawk and Military Run, Kurtzman's War Books, and what Dave Johnson has been doing for the past 15, 20 years. That's cool. And yeah, D- yeah Dave's great. I, I hear you. And it's, He's extraordinary. Well, and yeah, and again, modern design... Aesthetics brought to comics and everything. Right, I mean, right. and that is the fun of I think the modern comic is. I, I do think the covers have really gone up in a different way. I mean, you know, we always love those uh, moments in the book, kind of giant splash page covers of the of the sixties and seventies and fifties, I suppose. Um, you know, but then yeah, you get a guy like Dave Johnson, and it's much more abstract and uh, you know uh, ideas rather than plot. Exactly. Oh, no good. Problem. I'm glad I got there. <laughs> I'm glad I got that right. <laughs> I think that's true. I mean, I think that, and I think that you know, the, the guy right behind Dave is Adam Hughes, and I think people they know Adam Hughes is a pinup guy, but Adam is also a clever, smart guy, and his his, his covers have have a have a sort of a comic narrative about them that's really appealing. Sure, Phil Noto. I'm a big Phil Noto guy too. Yeah, me too, as well. You know, they, yeah. but they, they're that same sort of. Um, there's an ironic abstract in, in all their work that really just jumps. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, awesome, man. Very, yeah. very cool. Um, 
Jesus, I uh, well, and again, back to back to the story of A Kids Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love again, and a lot of your stuff is soap opera, and that's great. Um, and I do love that it is this large cast that is familiar. And again, people who know their history will will recognize people. But Some I was, of them, not all, not all. Right. I mean, there 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 are a number of you know very obvious conflated avatars. I mean, I mean, I can tell you right now that much much of what's in in, in Hey Kids is the God's honest truth. A lot of it's apocryphal. And some of it's a lie, <laughs> um, but it, but it just fit the narrative perfectly. Understood. You know uh, how far how far in there? you read the first and second? Oh yeah, I read both. Uh, yeah, I read uh, the, both uh, both issues, and I love okay. too. And I and I want to acknowledge uh, Jerry Ordway's little uh, little Without business at the end. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was great that you brought Jerry in because I think Jerry's got that artistic sensibility that well, fits yeah, the story. And, and Jose Garcia Lopez shows up in the next one. Oh, that's great. And Walter will be in the next one. Simonson, fantastic! Yeah. Oh, that's great, man! Yeah, I just... we, we, wa- we wanted to do, do do pages that reflected the kind of stuff that was done in those days, you know. So we did a you know a hobby hints and you know an ad for <laughs> for fruit pies and uh, and a promotion of brotherhood. Yes, and so that 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 that's what's happening. I um, I, uh, I I did. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Finish it. Keep, no, no, no. I'm, I'm good. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, you know, last month, and I and I know I emailed you about it. Uh, Terrificon in uh, in uh, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Kupperberg talked to Barbara Freelander, and one of the things I like about Hey Kids Comics is this obvious inclusion of the romance comics. Oh yeah, with, and and just that period. And I, you know, like I said, Barbara was not a Dorothy Woolfolk. Is am I saying her yeah. name right? Daddy Woolfolk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I and I assume that that your character is kind of a composite, a pastiche yes. of yes. of Dorothy and everything. Yeah. So so yeah, I hope. Uh, well, I work I for Daddy. I mean, I'm, Alan Weiss and I are the only guys in my generation who did love comics. Um, and it's ter- we did terrible. I, I can't speak around. I did terrible stuff. You know? <laughs> I want to know about the, the oh, Love no, Comics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, Love Comics were basically discarded by, by my generation because because the guys who came in and took over the editorial shit they didn't know what, they didn't have to sell to women, so they just they, they literally dismissed an entire audience. Yes, you know, and I find it fascinating that uh, the audience that was that was thrown away with romance comics is now back full force and pissing off a lot of misogynists. You know. <laughs> Guys who, you know, who resent the idea of women women stepping into their their ballpark. I mean, what the fuck? Stop being such. You know, please cut that shit out. Absolutely, man. You know, no, and well, and also, you know, looking back on them now, this is a great opportunity for Martinson, and, and I want you to speak to this in terms of, you know, playing with fashion, and and you know, and, and maybe if I don't mean to sound like I'm, uh, you know. Uh, talking down to them by saying, well, well, at least you got to do nice clothes. But you know what I mean? I mean, it just seemed like there was a different aesthetic because it was. It was people. It wasn't tights. It wasn't spandex. And you got to kind of do an idealized teen version of the real world. Well, I, if you, I mean, if you look at Hey Kids, you realize that, that the aesthetic of the book is mostly a romance comic book. Absolutely. It really is. You know, because, I mean, you, you're following my three principles. When we meet my three principles, they're all about, you know, in their very early 20s. Um, and then we, we watch them, you know, get old, <laughs> you know, yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and we watch them, you know, they, deteriorate professionally, evolve professionally. I mean, right now I'm working on, on, on pages, you know, seven through 12 of issue five, in which we see a book burning in, in the middle of Central Park. Wow. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and sort of, and we the, the emerging and growing hostility happening between guys when, when when work begets, when less and less work shows up. Um, 
you know, so that's that's the franchise there. Uh, you know, it's I'm I'm having a great time doing it. I mean, it, it's I've already forgotten what what's coming up in this issue because I wrote it so many months ago. So it's always a, tr- a trio. Oh, that's what I was talking about. Issue okay, cool. three, okay. You know, so I mean, it, I mean, issue four is issue three is done. We're waiting for uh, actually it, it, we 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 put it to bed yesterday. Okay. And uh, issue four is all done in black and white, and the first quarter of it is colored. My 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 colorist and my letterer, the guys who do my lettering and coloring, work separately. Uh, unlike most comics, my letterer does not letter before my letterer letters into color. Uh, he he uses the color the color page as his as his base to do lettering. Cool. Um, and it, it's it's a very effective technique. It's working really nicely for us. Did you you use both the letter and the colors? And please uh, name check them. Uh, oh, and, I'm sorry. His... Ken Bruzenak is the letterer. Ken is the guy I've been working with since American Flag. Um, oh wow! A twin son of different mothers, but a raging pain in the ass, just like me. <laughs> and uh, and Will Quintana. Um, and Will Quintana used in I... Hysteria as well, right? Yes, yes. Will is and... Will is a guy who I was introduced by when I was doing. I did a variant cover for Reggie for the Archie guys. And he, did, he, he, he took a shot at it that was a completely different way of thinking, and I, was, I really fell in love with it. And um, he's busting his ass, and I'm very happy with the work. That's excellent. Uh, and, no, and I remember the text pieces about uh, Will's work in, in Hysteria and everything, if I remember correctly. You know, bo- both these guys are, you know, are really, you know, like they're, they're more than stepping up to the plate. I mean, because I'm of the mind that lettering is not simply a means of deli- a delivery system for text. And that color is not simply a means to separate shape from form. Um, that that they, they, their functions are, are incredibly vital, and that they should be used to the maximum the maximum of what, what can be achieved. I mean, looking at the flag stuff that I was doing last night, looking at this material from the '80s, how shitty this material looked because it was printed with plastic plates, and the coloring was just god awful. It was the best you could get. Today, with with the with with the with the access we have to the computer color, there are just effects and choices that we can make that are just dazzling. You know, I understand, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm grateful to be working in that in that era. I really am. I understand, and you know, uh, well, a bad example I can think of of the old days was uh, Nathaniel Dusk, and just uh, the colorist, just literally like, just like pouring milk over Gene Colan's fine, you know, line work and everything. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a Colan fan, so you're not. You're not Interesting. No, it's just one of those things that I I never got him. Wow. Uh, I know Simonson is Glenn Gold is a huge fan. I just don't get Colan. Wow, um, I like Gene personally. He was a good guy, sweetheart of the a work. Guy. The work doesn't interest me at all. I always felt that, from a superhero perspective, his figures never had any real weight or volume. They never seemed to be planted on a, on a concrete surface. Everything wow. seemed to be falling all over the place. There was no. What? It, Art, I, I'm sorry. Just no. Art subjective, please. What are you talking about? You know? Where Where are you on a Frank Robbins art? I love Frank Robbins. You see, <laughs> uh, I'm with you, man. Uh, I love everything about Frank Robbins. <laughs> great writer um, as well, absolutely. Man. No, I, I think it's just he's fucking great. I mean, I mean, yeah. the thing is, and, and, you know, he was a guy who started out his career being you know, imitating Kniff. Yes, Johnny with, Hazard, with a, totally. The thing, he did, the thing he did better than Kniff was Ordnance. You know, um, you can you can draw. I mean, what, I, I never even realized it until I read the book how much of Burnett his early career is is is, is derived dramatically from Robbins. Interesting. Or Jordy Burnett, they they, they yeah. corresponded. And wow. there's also there's a, there's a lot of Robbins in in Ferdinand Tacconi, who's another Italian artist whose work I really love. Uh, Tacconi died a couple of years ago. He was um, he was an Italian who did most of his work for the British war comics for Fleetways. Oh sure, okay. And uh, and it's just great shit. It's it's kind of like 
it looks sort of like Frank Thorne inked by Dick Giordano. Oh, oh very cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, it, it really is. It's phenomenal stuff. I love it. Um, I you want to grab it or you don't? No, that's yeah. my wife's line. She, okay, she, no worries. She'll, she'll deal with it whenever she gets home. Fair enough. You're just going to be hearing the phone ring. And I have no problem. It's all right. I had, a, I had a dog barking on an interview I did last night. I got no problem with that. That's totally Who's fine. dog? Uh, it was uh, Ben Blacker. Do you know Ben? Uh, no, I have no idea. But I like Ben is dog. a very funny comedy guy. Thrilling Adventure Hour is kind of a half fire sign theater half-live performance sketch comedy group. Okay. Wow. And, and, and interesting stuff. So, mm. And I'm glad. Do you, are you aware of Fireside Theater? Of course. Of course. You no, know, I mean, one of the, what, what, the year I moved to California, um, what, what those guys used to do was if you, you watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade on NBC. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You turn the sound off and you turned on KPFK. <laughs> and they did... Their narration of the, of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, I got to ask Proctor about that. That's fucking believable. That's great, man. I've had the pleasure of talking to Phil Proctor twice. It was amazing. It, I mean, it was appalling. It was, <laughs> it was, I mean, it just. I mean, I can't remember a single thing, but I remember just laughing myself sick. It was that's fantastic. awesome, man. See, because yeah. because I only knew them from their albums, right? And then and then got to you know research and and hear some air checks of of their radio stuff. And no, I, I really those guys are brilliant. And yeah, um, well, you know, I was a huge huge, huge fan of them. Is uh, is Kaluta? Oh, I didn't know that. That's Kaluta, fantastic. Kaluta's a massive Firestein Theater guy. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. No, and, and he's got a he's got a PR guy who it's like, hey, Phil Phil Proctor wrote an autobiography. I'm like, yes, please. And it's like, hey, Phil Proctor's doing a podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'll talk. Yeah, I mean, I love this shit. Look, yeah. I mean, when I moved to California, um, the, my Sunday mornings consisted exclusively of Harry Shearer's Le Show. Yes, love it. it ha- Harry did an hour, which was basically his workshop and laboratory for material. Yep. And then Tim Hauser from the Manhattan Transfer did a three-hour a three hour show called Sunday Sings Jazz, um, which was jazz and jazz-related vocals. And every six weeks, he would do a three-hour doo-wop show. And it was fantastic. You know, I bet it was. Just, it was. I mean, it was four hours on Sunday. The only, the only equivalent of that in New York was when I would I would go into into, into Upstart in the in the afternoon on Sundays and listen to uh, Cowboy Joe's Radio Ranch. Like I said, <laughs> you know, with um, with which was basically a you know three hours of of, of Texas swing and hot western music. That's and, cool. That's uh, excellent, man. On, on WKCR, the Columbia Columbia University station. Let me let me ask you a, a general question about your work because it always seems like uh, a lot of stories come back to that immediate post-war period, and mm-hmm. it fascinates me as well. Um, I but I want to hear w- w- because it seems to me that's that whole Jesus. Look at the problems we have now after Hitler. Uh, what were we fighting for? It seems to be that that general question as an observer and as somebody younger. Mm-hmm. What is what is it for you? I, I, I recognize the cyclical nature of history. Um, I mean, when I read Francis Fukuyama's End of History, I, was, I, I had no idea how anybody could believe that, that you know, tectonic shifts in culture like that could, could, could be settled as rapidly as that. Um, you know, all, all, I mean, all smart Jews know that shit never goes away. <laughs> you yeah. know, that, that it's, not- just wa- it's waiting to come back. Um, you know, so I mean, I'm 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 disappointed, but far from surprised. If that makes any sense, I, I understand. Okay, you know, yeah. Well, God, I can only imagine. Uh, do you do you like George Carlin now? Disengage 
from the current culture crisis? Well, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm irrelevant to contemporary culture because I'm old. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, I'm 67. I'll be 68 in three weeks. Um, I have nothing to offer to contemporary culture because I'm presumed to be past my due date. You know, um, I mean, I'm regarded in, in the mainstream comic book business as a guy who had his, had his day in the 80s, and I have nothing interesting to contribute today. Um, I'm not kidding. It's just the way it no, is. No, I, well, I know. You say, um, I, 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 you know that there's, there's got to be some more than the fringes that you claim, Howard, because... No, you're st- no. No, come on. I mean, the metrics, the metrics speak for themselves. Are you I mean, making if, a if profit there, if, there on more, your- if there are more than... Out of, out of the 250,000 people in the United States who buy all the, Ameri- all the comics we make, and that's all there are, really... Okay. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, the, of that number, maybe thirty-five thousand have any any idea of who I am, other than the guy who did Star Wars in the seventies. Trust me. Okay. Right. I, I have. I have. My audience is minuscule. Yeah, my audience couldn't fill in a, a football field in football stadium in Texas. Well, and and forgive the crass question. You don't have to answer, but I mean, you're making a profit from your comics. I am living. Took- I'm, I'm, I'm look. I'm, I'm also grateful for the fact that I spent as many years as I did in television because I have a pension. Right, you know, of and I own my house outright because I have no mortgage. I paid that off. Okay, and I live at the beach. So I'm I'm a lucky motherfucker. Okay, but I'm not making anywhere near the kind of money that 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 uh, that, that a lot of these motherfuckers are making in, sure. in comics. No, you know, I I'm, understand. I'm, I'm, that. I didn't. I, I'm not. I never associated myself with a superhero character that was going to generate big sales. Right. Okay. Um, you know, I'm 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 doing okay. You know, okay. I'm not, not, not great. I'm not. I mean, I worked in television for all those years to make a great deal of money. Okay, and I invested that money in, in, in shit wisely to, to sort of c- cover my ass. Okay, good. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm making a buck for my previous five. You know, hold on. Right. Why is my do- why is my dog making that fucking noise? It's okay. <laughs> uh, it's real. It's all right, man. I don't, I don't mind that. Do yeah, my, uh, my, do- my, my dogs are whiners. And cr- what, what have you done? Get the fuck away from me. Go go lie down. I'll make gloves out of you. Get the fuck away from me. Well, so, so that's well, the deal. Well, but then the the peri- that period that that you know eighties period of yours that mm-hmm. you know Times Square and everything came from mm-hmm. and Black Kiss and all of that, um, you know how do, how do you regard that era? Is that I mean, and uh, compare that era to today's? I guess well, I guess you are by saying that. Did you feel less in the margins back then? I look that that was me assuming that the audience was going to follow me, and I and I and, and what I didn't realize was that the audience that followed me were, the, were my colleagues. Um, I mean, Flag is a profoundly influential book, and the work that I did in the '80s is a profoundly influential. But nobody, but the audience doesn't know that the the guys who were influenced by it know it. So I'm really in in a very small group of because uh, I'm I'm not one of your colleagues. I'm not one of your. Yeah, you but, know, but I mean, mo- most people who who read comics don't know that many of the tropes they respond to are stuff that originated in, in my work. Right. Um, and. There, and the lack of interest in history, the the, the ahistorical nature of the, of the field, the cultural amnesia, uh, supports that. Yeah. Okay. So. No, I hear you, and I and I agree with you that that's that is a majority. Um, I don't know. And again, man, I I I, uh, I I feel like I still enjoy the craft as a reader. And and again, I wanted. I still enjoy a, a superhero story, knowing the limitations, knowing that there's never going to be a the end, or as you say, evolution in the characters. But alongside of that, it's like, okay, what else have you got, comics? And that's where I come to you. And, well, I, and, I always assumed that there would be a, a an, an evolution of a return of a kind of EC sensibility. Sure. What I, what I didn't understand was that the comics code did not only infantilize comics, but it also infantilized the audience. Uh, it made it made the audience a more 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 willing to accept 
the the yeah. kind of the, the, the kind of the, just the the franchise of a fifteen year old boy's idea of a tough guy um, <laughs> with with a, with a slather of gravitas to make it accessible and acceptable to a man in his fifties. And uh, yeah, being this man in his fifties, I understand. But I but again, I don't know, man. I I kind of think. And maybe I'm wrong because, again, you, you've got a few years on me, and uh, I just think that there are older readers, too, that, yeah, the, that fit what you, the definition you just threw out there, but also are like, um, again, yeah, looking for something different. The ones that, it, uh, uh, you know, kind of were excited about Epic Illustrated in its Yeah, in its but, that, but it, that, 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 that it's a minuscule part of the audience. Right. The audience has been convinced by, by, the, by the publishers that the material is the brand as opposed to the talent. And once that's happened, once, once that's been successfully imposed, the, the talent becomes functionally irrelevant. Irrelevant? Irrelevant. Um, the, the audience is, is attuned to want to see Wolverine, no matter who's doing it. They don't care who's doing it. They want, they want Wolverine. They want Batman. Sure, you know? sure. And that's not interesting to me because, it, 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 for me, it's about who's doing it, not what's done. Oh no, and I agree with you. Well, and again, I I seek out writers and artists more mm-hmm. than uh, you know. I mean, and I I have no allegiance to a book if it's not being run or written or drawn. Look, the, look, the, the comic book audience is the dangerous aspect of the comic book audience is that it's very easily flattered. Okay, <laughs> it's true. I mean, come on, it's uh, you know, it's like television. I mean, when back back in the in the eighties and nineties, television was a medium that congratulated itself, that congratulated the audience for being too hip for television. And once they had you convinced that you were here for television, they had you by the balls. <laughs> and that and that's where comics are, you know, to a profound extent. Interesting, absolutely. Any any thoughts on the current TV uh, landscape? Oh, I love it. I watch television. And I'm I'm obsessed with TV. What are, you know? What are your shows? What am I watching right now? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm. Uh, I just started the the Jack Ryan thing with Krasinski. I liked it a lot. I saw the I'm pilot. loving it as well. I'm only two episodes um, in. Go I on. loved the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, Me too. Good despite, lord, that was despite, great. Despite a couple of quibbles with it, um, a there were uh, far too many anachronisms, both visually and textually. And I thought it, episodes five, uh, episodes the the second, the next to last, and the one that preceded it were just awful. In which Midge, who was clearly a brilliant woman, does something really stupid, or else the episode wouldn't exist. The episode with Wallace Shawn and the one with Jane Lynch. Uh huh. Um, that Midge Jane Lynch is totally supposed to be Molly Goldberg, I'm, or. Uh... What, what was her name? Uh, the the actual woman. Yeah. Um, uh, not not uh, oh, Jesus. What was her name? Shame on me and shame. On, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, a, a big part of our life. But but again, she. But Midge, in, in the context of those two episodes, Midge behaves completely out of character by being a real fucking moron. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but I, I love the show. Um, yeah. And uh, when I'm and I'm I'm about to start the second season of Ozark. I mean, I'm caught up on, you know, all Piggy Blinders, Happy Valley. Um, a lot of stuff. I mean, I. I How about I, the good watched, place on that? NBC, which is shocking as hell. That one of the the good place. The NBC. I watched the show. first couple of episodes of the first season. I fucking hated it, and I just. Oh, I, interesting. I hear, it's, I, I hear it's really good. I just. I, I'm not really. I network, network sitcoms don't interest me at all. Well, and that's um, why it's I shocking. love the remark. I love the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Me too. Um, yep. It's great. I'm curious about Insatiable. I've not seen any of it. Yeah, I haven't watched um, it yet either. I liked I liked the first season of Ozark. Um, what I find interesting is that the critics seem to shit all over over the J- Jack Ryan stuff and and the second season of Ozark. But everybody I know who's seen both shows has said great things about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to the third season of Happy Valley. Um, a great show, a great British TV series. 
How about um, uh, how about Barry from HBO? The, loved it, loved it. Yeah, wasn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, and, and Godless. <laughs> Godless um, was fantastic. Yes, I gave. I, I watched all the first season of Westwood and decided I'd never go back because I thought it was unnecessarily obscurantist and uh, and opaque without being interesting. Westworld. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't warm to it. I just. I thought it was. It. 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 it, it like so much. I mean. And again, it's not Chris Nolan stuff, but it's a Nolan brother. Like the Chris Nolan stuff, it acts like it's smarter than it is. Um, it was just too depressing for me. No, I don't mind depressing, but I, it got to <laughs> at least be interesting. And it was just. It was just obscure for no good reason. You know. Uh, it, uh, yeah. It's just like you know. I don't care about it. Hilarious. Um, and, and, and frankly, if something doesn't doesn't engage me, I don't stay with it because there's so much other shit. I uh, completely. I love the oh, first two Lord. seasons of The Crown. I'm looking forward to seeing what the third season looks like. Love The Crown. You know, and again, nothing happened. It was just really good. I, I watched the first season of, of, of Preacher. Dug it a great deal. Um, cool. Gave four episodes into the second season and dropped it. I just didn't wasn't interested. Oh wow, anymore. interesting. Uh, and, and despite the fact that Pip Torrens was on, I love Pip Torrens. See, and my my buddy is Julianne Emery, and she's lovely and and great, and I'm so happy for her career. And Who she, is she? Which one is she? Um, and I forget the name of her character. Oh God, frizzy hair. She's in. Uh, she was also in um, the first season of Fargo, and playing she was what? In, uh, she was like one of the deputies' wives. Oh, okay. And she's the mayor's wife in that Eddie Izzard show, The Riches. Right. Okay. No, you mean yeah? I like that show a great deal. Um, I mean, I, 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 I gave up. I could not bear the the have the the uh, the, day, the Dan Stevens superhero Legion. I, I, I oh I really? Know, I found it on. Oh wow! Bear it. And I you know, honestly, Fargo. Howard, it, I spiritually, it kind of reminds me of the prisoner. Didn't it, couldn't it, I found it just not interesting. And I like everybody on it. I love Gene Smart. I like Dan sure. Stevens a lot. Sure. And I'm a huge fan of Aubrey Plaza. Yes. Um, Good just Lord. Couldn't, yes. couldn't get interested. You know? Interesting. Oh no! I understand. Hey, Amen. That's cool. I'm, I'm I'm watching Pose, and I'm trying to find find something good to say. I I find Ryan Murphy's stuff mostly annoying. Um, <laughs> I couldn't bear American Horror Story or any of those things. I just ugh. I liked uh, the first season, and after that, I just didn't care. Uh, I mean, I, I I felt betrayed by Glee and by by Nip Tuck. Um, just it just <laughs> seems hysteria, and and not in the service of anything. I understand. Um, and uh, I love Patriot. Patriots, uh, 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 yeah, phenomenal, and I'm and I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to the third season of um, of um, the the Man in the High Castle. Yeah, me too. The Americans I mean, too. I, I love. I'd love to know why that why the second season got you know why why Frank Spotnitz got got booted because I, I didn't thought, know I that. The second, wow. the, the second season really found out who the really because the, the the problem with the first season is, is that the heroes are really boring. The only really interesting character is is John Smith, played by you know Rufus Sewell. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is so yes. fucking good, and he really stepped up at the plate in the second season. I really love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's fantastic. I love. I didn't know Spotnitz got dropped though. That's amazing. He, he he left the show halfway through the first second season. Oh wow. Yeah. Have you seen oh, the God. second season? I have. I you know a lot of these shows I'll kind of stop watching, and that way I can enjoy more than when they dole out a season, and then we got to wait two years. Got it. And okay. I did the same thing with Sherlock. I, I I blew off like the middle episode. Yeah, I, I never saw it in its original run. I saw it all ca- catching up on it. Me too. There, there you go. You know. And I mean, yeah. So I literally I'm doing that even with uh, the Marvel Netflix shows that right. I, like. I, I again I I gave up after that after the first fourth episode of Daredevil. I didn't care. Okay. Um, uh, I I love Banshee. I miss Banshee a lot. Banshee is fantastic. Um, I love that show. Good know. lord. So everybody. You know, I mean, at, I mean, great. at this point, there's so much shit out there. Yeah. That that you can pick and choose. You know, and I'm and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, so. and I t- and and truly because it's all up there, I take my time with it. Right. Exactly. And savor it. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I watched the first episode of the second season of The Deuce, which I'm, I was blown away by it. Me too. Um, really and, enjoyed it. And, and, I, and I mean what I say. I was looking for myself in the background. There I am. You know? <laughs> um, again, and, and, and I like the fact that Simon and, uh, and, and Pelicanos are making really good use of, of actors who are, who are, I mean, like Chris Coy, who plays the, uh, the, the, the gay bartender who then goes on to own, own a gay joint downtown. Okay. Um, who okay. I first, first noticed on Treme. Uh, wow, and then, and then shows up on the final season of uh, of Banshee. Oh, that I I had forgotten that he was on Banshee. That's right. awesome. Yeah, yeah. wow, Jesus. he's terrific. You know, very uh, cool. And I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, Me too. And just, yeah, that's you know, a great just, role for her. There's there's she, some great shit going on there. And Luke yeah. Kirby shows up in the first first episode of the second season. The guy, he's the guy who played Lenny Bruce on on Mrs. Maisel. Oh, funny. And he's the guy that I first became aware of playing a Tom Cruise type. On the first season of a Canadian show called Slings and Arrows, um, which I'm aware of that seen, show. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, it's great. It really okay. is. Three, three, six episode seasons. Really smart. Really funny. If you have any interest in theater, it's a really inside baseball thing about theater. That's it's great cool. shit. Oh yeah. Um, wonderful stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm subsumed by television. Excellent, dude. The, no, you gave us a good uh, watching list there. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you go because I don't want. I never want to. Yeah, I, I got to yell at my assistant. He just walked in, so it's time. All to right, do that. no, dude. Honestly, hey kids, comics. It's it's excellent. I'm happy to talk about Thanks it. Thanks so much. Tell tell a million of your friends because I want that book to succeed. As do um, I, and and I'm sure there's there, there you know some schmuck like uh, you know is, is going to decide that there's there's hidden meaning in it that that's actually offensive to some other social group. But no, it's a it's a it's a love letter to comics. <laughs> And it's 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 why I do comics today. So go with God. All Keep right? it up, man. Hey, thanks, John. Always a pleasure, and I'll see you on campus. Yeah. Total mensch, Howard Chaikin. So excited to talk to him. I'm going to try and give him a break for a few months, and then uh, we'll catch up with Howard in 2019. Man, I'm telling you, I'm relentless with these legendary people. Can't help it. I love talking to them. Thrilled that they take the call, seem to enjoy the conversation, and are willing to come back. I'm a lucky guy. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. And again, yesterday was International Podcast Day. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't see uh, my tweets or Facebook posts about it. But uh, I threw up a couple things over there. Uh, The uh, top ten list of uh, most downloaded uh, creators in general on Word Balloon. And then uh, the top ten women most downloaded guests at uh, Word Balloon. Both uh, lists for 2018. Uh, You know, at the end of the year, maybe I'll do an all-time list and let you know what's going on. But, uh, you know, just reminding everybody some of the other great conversations that you might have missed. Uh, You may want to check them out. The full depository of Word Balloon podcasts are at wordballoon.com. I have some scragglers that are still on the Libsyn feed. The Libsyn feed is going away. And if you're dissatisfied that uh, the iTunes feed only goes uh, 300 episodes deep, go to Blog Talk Radio. That's where the entire... 800 and now 13 episodes of Word Balloon sits from my very first episode of this current feed of 2006. There's some lost Word Balloons in there from 2005, uh, from uh, May when I started to uh, August of 2005. I've put most of them up in the uh, list, but there's a few here and there. But regardless, that number, 813, that, uh, that's the uh, list that goes back to uh, 2006 in September, which is when this current RSS feed was created. But it's all at Blog Talk Radio right now. Um, not to confuse you, but yeah, if I do see that a, a few hundred people are still occasionally downloading old episodes at Lipson. If you haven't transferred over, please do it now. 
Uh, I probably said something at the beginning of this if you're hearing this on the Lipson feed or on the Word Balloon app. The Word Balloon app also, unfortunately, going away. But in lieu of that, uh, a lot of other great uh, ways to listen to Word Balloon. I am on SoundCloud. My new episodes are actively being posted there. Uh, YouTube as well, under Word Balloon. Uh, you know, seriously, like really trying to expand all the different platforms to get Word Balloon. Uh, the Lipson Arrangement has uh, outlived its usefulness. Great people, and I thank them for hosting the Word Balloon feed for all this time, but it's time to move on. All right, enough business. I look forward to seeing you at New York Comic Con. I hope uh, that you will uh, stop by. Let me thank you personally uh, for listening to Word Balloon. You might recognize me before I recognize you. And if that's the case, uh, again, let me thank you in person for uh, listening to Word Balloon and helping support the show with your listenership and passing it on to your friends. It's truly appreciated. I hope you consider subscribing to Word Balloon through the Patreon ad and joining the League of Word Balloon listeners. Go to wordballoon.com, click on Patreon there on the front page, or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon and consider subscribing. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. This episode of Word Balloon is sponsored by Aftershock Comics, shaking things up at your local comic shop right now. Talking about great hit series like The Lollipop Gang from Aiden and Adam Glass and Diego Yapur. Baby Teeth with Donny Cates and Gary Brown and A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis and Gorn Suzuka. Animosity by Marguerite Bennett and Raphael De La Tour. The Brothers Dracul from Cullen Bunn and Mirko Kolak. And Monstro Mechanica from Paul Aller and Chris Evenweiss. Great books, unbelievable concepts. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books. You don't have to wait. You can go there. You will find full story descriptions, preview pages, as well as the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right. Thanks again for listening. Uh, One or two episodes likely to hit right before New York Comic Con. Probably two, actually, believe it or not. Uh, Still have some Terrificon panels to share with you. I hope you'll enjoy them. A conversation with Dave Michelini, the creator of Venom, right before the Venom uh, movie premiere this weekend. And Superman in 80 from the men who knew him best. Roger Stern, Jerry Ordway, Paul Kupperberg, Pete Tomasi. A very funny conversation about the Man of Steel from Terrificon. So those are the two episodes still to come this week. I hope you'll stick around and check them out. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.